11 o'clock comics episode 73 all right it's very strange this week isn't it it's a strange start, for sure. There, no, aside from the strange start, it's Wednesday, and there's no comic books around. Yeah. 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 I hate these Yeah, it's not all. strange for me, because I get my comics on Fridays. Well, David well, and I so. like to keep current, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, only on Marvel. <laughs> hey, that's right. Chris is here now. We can talk Marvel out the ass. That's right. I got plenty to talk about Marvel. <laughs> Good. That's all right. Long freaking day. Happy day, though, for one of us. It is a grand day. Yes, it is. And so let's let's start this off in style and say welcome, everybody, to Eleven O'clock Comics. I am Vince B. I'm David Price, and I am Richard Junk Junkin Player. No, you're not. You're Jason Wood, the lovely and talented Jason Wood. And in case anyone hasn't noticed yet, there's a voice missing. That's right. Christopher Neesman cannot be with us tonight. He's busy tallying up his Marvel order sheet for this week. (laughs) The the extensive list of books that he's going to pick up tomorrow. So, you know. He said, what, he'd be fired unless he started reading some some good books, so we gave him some Marvel books to read. (laughs) Like, we have that power. Nice. And, like we hinted at, alluded to in the intro, it's King Dap's birthday today. What, what? Oh, come on. You can, birthday, you're King buddy. Dap. Your, your followers on the forum. Will, 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 <laughs> like Moses. What the hell are you talking no, about? No, no, no. Instead of parting of the Red Sea, they'll be throwing little rose petals in front of you and letting you walk down that beautiful aisle. That's how it is. They love you. King We're Dap. We're sipping on, on Cristal in honor of, uh, of your birthday tonight. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says, well, listen, I can't, I can't compete with that, so yeah, I'll take the night off. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Chris just didn't want to be overshadowed. King Dap's birthday, <laughs> I'm out of there. I can't do that. This episode of Love and a Cock... Love and a Cock? Love and a Cock Comics. This episode of the birthday, <laughs> King Dap's birthday episode is brought to you by the CBS Discount Comic Book Service. Stop paying full prices for your books. You don't have to do it. Shimmy on over to dcbservice.com and check out their massive discounts on comics and assorted comic paraphernalia. 30, 40, 50, up to 75% off certain books that they spotlight in their monthly specials. You can get everything from the back of the previews to front of the previews. Even that nifty little Marvel catalog that separates the good books from the bad, you can get those. <laughs> <laughs> through DCBS. So do it. They're great people. The service is amazing, and the shipping and packing are very secure. You get them at the frequency you desire right to your door, dcbservice.com. Great, great service. Yeah, there we go. And as far as the drink roll call goes, sorry, but Chris isn't here to do it. I'm drinking Pepsi Max again. I love this stuff. The wife didn't buy Pepsi Max this week. She bought regular Pepsi, and it was like I was drinking water. Once you have mm. the the nectar of the gods, the uh, ordinary stuff just but does you not drink Coke. cut it anymore. I don't like Coke. Uh, I, I thin my brushes in, in my paint, I don't my brushes know you in, in anymore. Coke. No, that stuff's bitter. Blech. Don't oh, like please. it. Oh, please. 
It's bitter. Your what, are, what are you drinking, Jason? Uh, I'm drinking some Crystal Light iced tea. Damn. Oh, with the little plastic packet? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Hook it up. Stirring it with his little finger hanging out. Lee, 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 like that. Well, it's, 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 it's kind of like a finger, but it's not quite. <laughs> sure doesn't reach the bottom of the glass, that's for sure. Jesus. Oh, <laughs> Talk about dunking the trunk. <laughs> what are you drinking, David? King Dap, birthday boy. <laughs> Root 1 Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, Colchagua Valley, Chile. Wow. You went a long way for that. I did, it's man. Chile I, I stepped back today. It is good. Approximately. What does it taste like? It's it's a red wine. It's uh it's it's maybe not as as sharp as a merlot. It says on the back a rich red wine with black currant, mocha, and cherry flavors. And huh. Renee is drinking uh, Casa La Pastole Sauvignon Blanc. She just wants to make sure I let you know that for some reason. I made roll call. Nice. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> excellent. That was awesome. She louder than wood. Shit. You set. The uh, and nicer the, too. Oh uh, yeah, um, well, that's for sure. I mean, I love you, but boobies are boobies. I'm sorry. Oh, you got that right. Okay, my dudes. So this is New Mutant, and I am propelled to the phone lines from listening only to about the first third of this week's episode. Uh, first of all, I want to give you kudos, major, major kudos for having read a book that just came out in my space-time continuum yesterday. I guess we all were stoked for Fantastic Four 570. Been waiting for a little bit for it, I suppose, and we all leapt on it and read it, ate it up like quite delicious bonbon that it was. Yes. And um, so right on for that. And then, of course, you had me screaming, hollering and screaming at my player, at my media player, when um, when you guys gushing, gushing, I tell you, gushing over uh, Mr. Hickman's story, which, which earned its praise, I will say. Yes, uh, we must give him his props. He deserved every bit of it. Um, but giving Mr. Miller a little bit of a short shrift there, Vince, being the Mr. Fantastic that he is, leapt to Miller's defense, and I'm very pleased to have heard that. However, because because the three of you, in, with uh, Wood in absentia, taking care of his business that week, I'm mighty proud, mighty proud of uh, husbands who love their wives and enjoy their relationships more like that. I'm happy with that idea. Um, but however, the three that remained did not read the closing of Miller's storyline, and I'm sure that this has already been addressed on the forum because I only started listening to the episode leaving on a Thursday, my place of employment, and so entertained myself with my drive to my uh, second job, then had to shut off and come to my second job. So I'm at my second job, but I had to get this in. And so I continue. The thing that is the lovable Benjamin J. Grimm was engaged to Debbie. So first of all, her name was Debbie. We got that right from the movie. So that was an homage, homage, if you will. And no, she wasn't a part of a super 
villain group. No, there was no subterfuge. No, she wasn't a scroll. Nothing happened. The only thing that happened was Benjamin J. Grimm realized that if he married the woman, he was going to throw her in the middle of all this superhero danger. All these supervillains who like to snatch people's brides and wives and fiancés and dangle them over cliffs and drop them off of Brooklyn bridges that look like George Washington Bridge. All that. So he canceled his engagement. He, he, he left her at the altar. He did not go back in to uh, marry her. And it was very touching, very poignant, very heart-rending scene that ended with just the two of them being friends and she in her bridal gown and him in his tuxedo. And, man, it was one of the, it was one of the best endings of a story arc that I had experienced, and I'm very sorry that you guys didn't get a chance to experience it, but you did get me to call in, so uh, so something good came out of it, I'd like to believe. Anyway, I'll see you on the forums. You guys take care. Bye. A lot to talk about this week, even though it's not New Comic Book Day. There are a lot of... Th- I read a ton of shit over the weekend. I'm sure you guys did, too. Yeah, I took the... I, I had a staycation last week, because it was my kids last week before they went back to school, so I, I took the week off, and uh, I read an assload of comics as a result. No Great kidding. picture of the boys, by the way. Sorry. Oh, oh uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. It's uh, growing up before you know, before my eyes, man. Yeah, it sucks. We had Meet the Teacher Day at school mm-hmm. tonight, and uh, as far as the girls are concerned, everything's fine. But Vinny, who's in preschool, the teacher said, oh, you're Vinny's uh, parents. And she said, that face, I love that face, but that boy has pepper in his ass. <laughs> That's awesome. I never heard that before. So now, now Vinny's walking around saying, I have pepper in my butt. Nice. <laughs> He's toning it down. Yeah. I wanted to say something about two books Chris talked about. Was it last week? Something. Or the week before, did it, either of you read the the two books from the first launch of Vertigo Crime? Dude, you're reading my mind. I wanted oh, to talk good. about what did I say my intro was? My intro name was Richard Junk Junkin. That's right. Obviously, you feel the same way I do by that intro. I, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know how you feel. So I'm glad that they were smart enough to release two books initially, because even though I enjoyed them both, I enjoyed one a lot more than the other and I'm I, as I the reason why I say I'm very glad they released both of them was I would be very uncertain about the future of this imprint had they released the Ian Rankin one alone to start the line okay because I love Constantine I like the grand guignol and the dark and the absurd it was nowhere near as satisfying a read as uh, Filthy Rich. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't read the Ian Rankin one because I, I knew it was a Hellblazer book, and I, I'm very curious to get into Hellblazer, but I, I, I haven't read, I think, more than one or two issues over the years, so I, I just it didn't pull me in like the... Uh, the so I only read Filthy Rich, but uh, I, I can't compare the two, but I can definitely agree with you that Filthy Rich was a treat. Yes, it was very good. Let me set up the Dark Entries book for you, just in case you may be tempted, because it is really good. I do like Dark Entries, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) But when one compares it to Azarello's book, The Filthy Rich, it it so pales in comparison. 
Warren Ellis, of all people, called it a classic John Constantine story. Uh, I really beg to differ with that because I've read more than 200 issues of Hellblazer. This does not rank among the best Hellblazer stories. I'm sorry, Ian Rankin, but it's it's kind of, like I said, absurd, bordering on dopey. There's a reality show based in a haunted house. And the producers of the reality show come to John Constantine because the house is getting away from them. It's doing things they didn't plan on. It's acting in strange ways. So Constantine's brought in. Long story short, it's a reality show produced for the denizens of hell. And all of the occupants save John Constantine are dead. They're passed on. And they don't know it. They were plucked from limbo, brought into this house, and made to interact with each other. They have no memories of their demise, their various demises. They just know that they've all been brought into this house. And, you know, it's a reality show. And it's being watched by demons and various denizens of hell. And Constantine has to find a solution to the problem and a way out. That's basically the, the book. Okay. The, the thing I got out of this story was uh, the devil's blowjob. That's what I took away from this. There's a scene where one of the demons splits from her superior and takes sides with the head honcho. And as she's talking to um, her one-time boss, she gives the devil a sloppy knob job. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, it's, I mean, one would think that if there is a currency in hell, it's got to be the fellatio. You know what I mean? But I mean, it's, so it's appropriate. <laughs> but, uh, and it's really well done. Werther Deladera is the artist, and his style is not all that far removed from Guy Davis. Very oh, beautiful. Okay. Yeah, it's a very beautiful style, very free flowing. Dark swaths of black. It, it's beautiful. It's really nicely illustrated. And the, the scene with the blowjob is pretty cool because you don't see the devil. He's cloaked in darkness, maybe down to the waist. You see this huge cloven hoof, and he's sitting in a throne as the devil would, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it's really atmospheric, exceptionally well done. And you see a silhouette of the female demon going down on him and then later on she's talking and she's like licking stuff off her hands and her fingers hilarious no it so that's what i that's the most memorable yeah it's the most memorable scene in the book that's not saying much though when you have john constantine i -hmm. figure when you have a character like that it should be constantine's the maestro of turning the tables on whoever he's facing it should be some really out of left field brilliant plot twist involving him that is the most memorable thing, but it's not. It's 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 okay. It, but it, like I said, there's very absurd, surreal parts in it, and that what that's what kept me going. There's disembodied heads that speak. There's um, learning the various deaths of all the people was kind of intriguing, and you know, seeing them come to the realization that whoa, you know, we're not alive anymore. That was kind of cool. But all in all, yikes! The Azarello book just blows it away. I'd like to hear what you have to say about the Azarello book. Uh, so, uh, King Dap, you didn't uh, read this in Gathering? I have not read him yet, no. Okay. Well, this was, uh, as you say, written by Brian Azarello, so certainly I think when he has his name attached to something, expectations are pretty high. It was illustrated by Victor Santos, mm-hmm. who I was not familiar with prior to reading this book, and so I, I looked him up. He hasn't done much comics work. Prior to this, he did the, or I guess he's currently doing the uh, the second Mice Templar miniseries, mm-hmm. which is 
Michael Avon Oming's mice book that he's writing instead of drawing, and a couple other books that I'm not familiar with. They look like horror books, Zombie and Demon Cleaner. So, I you know this guy was new, and I love this style. Uh, it's beautiful stuff. It definitely is of the um, the Darwin Cook. You know the it's it's got that that same kind of styling. You know, um, I'm, I'm not going to say he's he's up to the Darwin Cook's level of mastery, but it, it's that same kind of big-eyed, simple lines, but but ex, you know, but expressive. Uh, mm-hmm. I, so I enjoyed it. I thought the art was was quite good, and and really was 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 really well suited to what is essentially a pulp, you know, noir book. A little bit uh, of Ernie Cologne too. Nice. Yeah, I could, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and and Miller, expensive. you can't look at this without seeing Miller in some spots too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty straightforward story, as I think most good pulp crime novels are. I mean, I, it, basically, it's Richard Junk Junkin is a former football great who tears up his knee and is fallen into some disrepute because of accusations, unfounded, I guess, at least at the beginning of the book, unfounded accusations of having cheated while he was a star at Notre Dame. Uh, So we we find him uh, working as a car salesman. And I didn't, you know, now I think about it, Vince, do you remember, does this book take place in the 50s maybe? I don't remember specifically them saying when it took place, but it was drawn as it had a 50s book. It does have that vibe to it. It looks yeah. like it is. So, so he's a car salesman, and this is back in the time when that was kind of a big deal, and, and car salesmen were all in suits and ties, and it had a little more cachet to it. But he's not very good at being a car salesman. Uh, you know, he's the guy that that always misses his quota, and and the other guys are kicking his ass, and they kind of make fun of him for it. But basically, the owner of the dealership loves him because he is a really well-known football star, and the owner is able to use Junk's notoriety to make sales, and so he keeps him around and likes him for that. But, you know, Junk wants to be a success, and he's not very good at selling cars, but he is good at, at betting the ladies, and as we see, he's he's got away with, with, uh, with the women pretty quickly, which, again, wouldn't be surprising. Slam. Um, yeah, exactly. And he wants more out of life, though, and sucks at his job, and so the boss basically says, look, you suck at selling cars, but I like you, kid. I want to keep you around. Uh, my daughter is always in the newspapers. She is a real hellcat, and I don't like it. So I'd love for you to keep an eye on her, but it'd be best if you do it for me that you sort of stay out of her way and don't let her know that you're doing it. And Junk says, I get what you're saying, and I'm going to take the job. So Junk becomes essentially her watcher, uh, if you will. But that quickly goes by the wayside in terms of him staying out of her periphery. She she realizes he's there pretty quickly, and as the uh, the femme fatale is wont to do, takes him and 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 wraps him around her uh, her little finger or her thighs or whatever whatever analogy yeah. you want to use. And really, that's where the I guess the 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 main crux of the plot and where the the uh, the double crosses start to come into play. Yeah, I don't know how much more to tell you. Wanna I don't know if right. you want to give away the twist and whatnot but but yeah so essentially he gets embroiled in her life of high stakes you know she's a socialite and and inevitably everybody that she's surrounded with uh, is you know uh, is, is not without sin and uh she too is quite the schemer and he gets caught up in that and uh and then there's a, a bunch of twists and turns which to be fair i think are relatively telegraphed the quote-unquote big twist at the end the, the two twists the, i i saw them coming i don't know about you 
So mm-hmm. I don't really know that I didn't I didn't come it wasn't like you know like something like with the usual suspects of the movie right where you're watching it and you know there's a twist but you can't quite put your finger on it and then the reveal it just all falls into place and you're just so satisfied with it I I thought this was a very satisfying reading experience but I didn't I wasn't at all surprised at the way it went but uh, there is a moment though where you almost believe that he won't go through with it mm-hmm. and and that's what I was I saw it coming but I was still uncertain on, on whether or not he would actually go through with what he was going to do. Right, but then right. when you think of that, the turning point in the book that took place on the dock, when you keep that in the back of your mind, he's driven by anger, so he'll do anything at right. certain moments. So, yeah, I, I thought it was really well done. It's it's steamy, it's sweaty, there's a lot of sex in it. it sex, uh, yeah. It has. I mean, the women are gorgeous. They're Passionate all. Sex too. Yeah, like Sam, yeah. Santa's got real chops. I mean, he doesn't draw. Well, I guess there are some explicit scenes, but the. I mean, there were scenes where you know, there's one scene that I can think of where he's making out with one of the women. I think it's the daughter, actually, Victoria, in this case. But um, and you know, it's a close up of them making out, but you know, he's biting her lip, and she's you know, it's it, and mm-hmm. it, and graphically, it's actually a pretty simple drawing if you take a step back and look at it. But it really captures that moment of. That we've all, at least all the adults listening, have had, you know, where you're really hot and heavy with someone, and it's just like you can't, you can't stand it. And he he captures that, which is effective. It's hard. I think that's a hard thing to do on the on the drawn page. So, but she uh, manipulates the hell out of him, though. I mean, he's succumbing to her physical wiles, and she pushes him in that direction she wants by telling him how big he is. Like you tell a dude. You know, I knew you were so big. That's totally. it. That guy's yours. He he will basically do anything you want. Yeah. And uh, you know, hey, so I'm gonna rock your world. What's up, guys? This is Doug from Seabus. Um, sometimes you know I get a little confused between uh, the Around Comics and the Eleven O'Clock Comic Podcast uh, as far as subject matter goes. But I think this is the one where you guys are talking about uh, some of you moving to 100% trades. And uh, cutting off the the flaccids, as Tom Caters calls them. Um, anyway, I know uh, just, I've done this this uh, about four or five years ago. The first three months, obviously, are going to hurt because you're not going to be buying much. But uh, if you get a little reading pile going beforehand, you should be okay, and you'll make it through, and you'll be glad you did. Um, second of all, the two ninety, I'm sorry, the one ninety nine price point, two dollar price point for the digital Marvel comics is a joke. I'm um, actually not too surprised by it, but, um, you know, based upon the packages they're they're attempting to sell or they asked about in the survey, I think $2 for a digital comic is way too much, but uh, it's definitely not going to sway me back into the monthly grind. So uh, take it easy, guys, and have a great podcast. Bye. Yeah, so poor Junk is getting manipulated from every angle, but I like the character. I really do. He's not the most intelligent dude, but he's he has an honesty about him that I, I found kind of appealing. You know, I thought he was really well portrayed because the you mentioned that he was driven by anger, and mm-hmm. I think that's really not only is it accurate, but I also think it it's the choice of the characterization of his history makes a lot of sense in the, in the idea that you know, here's this all. I mean, back in the '50s, Notre Dame was. You know, there was no football equivalent to Notre Dame. It was if you played at Notre Dame, you were every every kid wanted to play football at Notre Dame. You know, so he clearly was a, a badass football player that that back then everyone would have known his name. And you know, here's a guy that be, tears up his knee and he never gets a chance to be a pro and make the riches that he would have pretty much been guaranteed to make. So you would be angry. And not to mention, 
I don't know how many if you got, but you know, I I've known a lot of football players in my life, is bit buddies with some, um, not so friendly with others. But to be honest, not to stereotype, it's a, but a lot of the football players I know are angry guys in the sense that they're violent. You know, they it, to be really good at football, there's a there's a, a an under there's a streak of violence you have to have. You know, that a lot of the guys can just turn it on on the field, but but there's that underlying anger that that pervades you if you're going to be really good at football. You know, right. you have, it's, it's it's an act of violence. I just thought it was a really well well chosen idea to make him an ex football player because you know it just it fits the characterization of a guy that's just down on it. He feels like he deserves more out of life. Was pretty much had a, had a lottery ticket to fame and fortune, and it's all been taken away over you know a, a one bum injury. And so I, I really I thought the characterization made sense. But also he's not a smart guy. He's a guy that got got through life on his good looks and his athleticism, and isn't that well educated. And as a result. As we see as the story goes on, he's fairly easily manipulated. Right. You know? But if you look at the page, uh, the two pages actually, where he has sex with the Victoria, the daughter, and the beatdown on the dock, those two pages are very similar in, in terms of design. There's four strong verticals, and well, on the case of the, the sex scene, there's three horizontals, but on the beatdown, there's two. Those are almost the same page. So the sex and the violence are really portrayed as kind of the same thing in this book. Mm-hmm. They're both very visceral. If you, I mean, if you take a look at that, those guys are going at it in that scene. Sure. And the the sweat is flying, and in the other scene, it's the blood that's flying. So there, I don't know if that was intended explicitly by Azarello to do that, but uh, the sex and the violence go hand in hand in this thing. Well, listen, who who doesn't enjoy a good you know HF every now and then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was exceptionally well done, and I'm going to keep an eye on this Victor Santos. I buy the the Mice Templar, the second series, but oh, I haven't. Do. Yeah, yeah I, I haven't gotten around to reading it yet, so that's why this name was unknown to me uh, when I'm when going into this. But now mm-hmm. I have even more from the guy. Just a beautiful, beautiful book. Everything you would expect from a noir. Story. Uh, I mean, Azarello, yeah, hits all the high notes. The the characters that are not what they seem, even the most seemingly wholesome characters, like mm-hmm. the, the the starlet that everybody envies. Well, she. Yeah. I mean, when the lights are on, she really doesn't have all that much to envy. When you when you see the one revelation about her, and just duplicity after duplicity and there's backstabbing and twists and turns it's it's a great story and there's an art deco slant to mm-hmm. it too so i i loved it it was fantastic yeah, all the Spencerello stuff that i've been reading lately has got me just dying to jump back in and, and read 100 bullets now yeah um, same here but i mean if anybody is considering either one of the vertigo crime of the two books initially that launched the series Pick up the Azarello one first, and then the Ian Rankin. The Ian Rankin is is a worthy buy, but it's it's not as weighty, nowhere near as weighty as the Azarello. They're both worthy purchases, though. Love them. Faux show. Birthday boy's silent because he hasn't read these, so let's That's hear from okay. him. That's no, okay. hey, you're right. It's okay, but we want to hear yes. you talk. Oh, he's so witty. Yes, Your dulcet tones. Come on, my friend. Hey, I have a question for you, David. Yes, Mr. Mr. Marvel. Oh, Jesus. No, the <laughs> book that I picked up this week at Borders, I, I had a question about this format. And it's a hopeful question because I hope Marvel does more books in this format. I bought the Wolverine Tales of Weapon X hardcover. Far be it from me to buy a Wolverine book. But I, I found the format so damn compelling that I had to buy it. And, and Deadpool's in it, so 
Okay. I am well. loving you these days, dude. Deadpool, well, Wolverine, you are about about it. Well, it's it's a reprinting of Weapon X First Class issues one to three, mm-hmm. which which were all three ninety nine. I believe so. Tim right. Seeley art too. Yes. Oh. Well, Tim Tim Seeley does ten page backups in every issue. Yeah. Um, a Deadpool, a, a Sabretooth, and Sabretooth. a Gambit backup, drawn by Tim Seeley. Another reason why I bought the book. So there you have three this issues. This wasn't tie into the movie at all. Oh, you have three issues at three ninety nine. Then it reprints Wolverine First Class one and two, both were two ninety nine, and Wolverine Power Pack number th- two. So you get three three ninety nine issues, three two ninety nine issues. It's a hardcover for fourteen ninety nine value, oh. but it's not. A standard size Marvel book, Marvel trade, I should say. It's it's about an inch, maybe inch and a half bigger than a manga volume. So it's a small fo- a small footprint on this thing. But I'll tell you, why can't they do this for all of their books? There's nothing lost in the art th- at this scale. It's all very legible, all readable. The it, it doesn't suffer. So it's I mean, a little smaller than the uh, Free Comic Book Day Avengers. Um, about that it, same no, size. it's a lot. So, did you ever see the books that Top Shelf puts out for their Free Comic Book Day? The the seasonal samplers. It's around that so. size. Okay. A little bit bigger <laughs> vertically, but I mean, it's a hardcover, fourteen ninety nine. And I, my question to you was. Is this something they're going to continue doing? I do not know. And I noticed that the paperback version of this hardcover is the same price, fourteen ninety nine. Why wouldn't really? you pick but the, up? But, but, yeah. but the paperback is, is standard size. No, same no? size. Same size. Oh. I'm assuming that it's the same size. I didn't look at the specifically at the dimensions in the in the in the previous catalog, but I, I just assumed that it was. Maybe it's not. You I don't know. You assume, Vince. It contains all ages material, so just like the Marvel Adventures go to digest when they're collected, I'm guessing this is this. It sounds like an experiment. It's, I mean, this is the first time I'm hearing about this from Marvel. It's not really a. It is a. I, I hesitate to call it a digest because it's not that small. It's much bigger than that. But there's um, a ten-page, like I said, Deadpool story that is a riot. Would you have to search this out? He's okay. talking to the editor of the comic, as <laughs> Deadpool is wont to do. But he, there's a page on here that literally made me laugh out loud. It's the Weapon X program, Distinguished Alumni. <laughs> and it's a, a trio of um, three squares. The, the top has Logan, Silver Fox, Sabretooth. But the very middle of the, the array has Anne Davis as Alice. <laughs> now, that is just funny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's stupid and then on the bottom it has Kestrel, Kane and, and Deadpool but it's goofy it's off the cuff and, and it's drawn by Tim Seeley holy crap that's that's sweetness yeah maybe I will I will dig it maybe I could find it in the back issue bins or something in the, uh... I wonder if this was supposed to be like some tie into the movie or, or the DVD or something and they just yeah, I, I would really think it was a tie into the movie because the, the main story is Charlie leading Logan through his mindscape Right, and you know, you you tiptoe through the Weapon X program, and you show it shows all of the the crap he went through, and the conditioning, and his eventual escape. So it's it's a lot like the movie. Okay, probably was done in conjunction with the movie. And there's a revelation in here about Charlie that I didn't know. I'm kind of assuming that this is canon. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah, L- Logan was not his first choice to join from the from when he went to Canada. Yeah, Victor was. 
Wow. And and Victor was too unstable for Charlie, so he went with his second pick. Which yeah, but he can just go in and zap his brain like he did for Gene. Yeah, I can't speak about the logistics, <laughs> but <it's laughs> okay. according, yeah. according right. to this, written by Mark Sumerak. Uh, well, I'm not Vic- saying that, that that isn't the new canon. I don't think that that was ever established before that, though. So, Like, in yeah. other words, they, they might you know, be, quote-unquote, retconning it in to canon, because I don't know that was ever addressed one way or the other. Which was kind of cool, because it does cast Charlie in a little different light. He shot so. first. So they, um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty neat. It is pretty cool. And uh, thankfully, there's nothing in here about Victor and Logan being brothers. I thought that was really dopey. <laughs> or, or about father-son. No LCD? Yeah, no father-son. No, no, none of that. No. Oh. So it's it's pretty cool, but yeah, I hope really hope that they do more books in this format. Mm-hmm. That's cool, especially the Avengers trades, which are ungodly expensive for what you get. I was looking at the Dark Avengers, the first ones, twenty four ninety nine. What are you complaining about? You get them for five bucks. I was going to say, go to a con next year, you'll get it for five bucks. Well, they over- I don't know about comic shop. I don't know about that one. That's pretty popular. Now, dude, the new Avengers hardcovers are at every con. Half the, I mean, they're all over the place. I think they overprint those like crazy. Now, maybe they'll they'll get smart and not overprint them anymore. But all those new Avengers ones are on the cheap. They're setting a, a very dangerous precedent by that. You know, mm-hmm. how many how many people just hold back and wait for the cons and pick them up there? Yeah, well, well, that's I why know they're I, I know they're not hurting for the money. Yeah, but. that's why you have to give at least Vertigo give them a little credit for trying because they had that rep there for a while of training everybody to just wait for the trade because that first trade would come out and it'd be super cheap, which it still is. But at least to their credit, with all the new series they've been putting out this year, they've been doing the dollar with the first issue, which, yeah. you know, is, I mean, I don't know that it's going to completely reshape people's behavior from, from doing the trade waiting, but at least they're, they're being smart and offering a big discount for, for either format, which, you know, was, it's better than just saying, hey, you get the, you know, so, I, I, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, and, and we uh, are creatures of habit. If we buy an issue at a dollar, and like it enough to invest more in that series, most of us are going to continue with the singles because that's how we began. Yeah. Yeah. So, Birthday Boy, what are you reading, bud? I finished Incognito. I read the sixth issue of that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That was great. That ended on a high note. It, it it may have been, I don't, well, like getting back to the Utopia talk from last week, I don't want to say it was predictable or I, I mean, it, it went longer than, than anticipated. Ed even mentions in the back matter, Edward Baker says that, uh, he knows that there was a delay between five and six, and, and it was supposed to be a five-issue series. And every time he tried to, to wrap it up, things kind of, I guess, got away from him, and it, uh, he wanted to put more in there. And I'm, I'm glad he did. It, it didn't feel like uh, – if, if, you, if you read a comic from Brubaker and Phillips, you're not going to feel you got the short shrift. You, you, you definitely have your money's worth. Sean Phillips isn't going to do these you know, massive gatefold pages uh, of the Batcave to prolong the book another eight months you're just gonna have you know every every panel has a reason to be on the page and and it's 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 all it's all there moving the story along so you may have to wait to read the whole thing if if you do read it in the singles but it's so worth it it's so packed i thought the ending was uh i I thought it was real nice it was a uh there was a bit of a twist i i didn't i didn't expect to uh there are some things, I guess, if you sit back and, and look at it, you could say may- maybe some aspects of it as far as superheroes go. It, it, it might be a little cliched, but it's it's a neat take on on that that form. And uh, I I, uh, I definitely recommend it. I'm glad that, uh, that we'll have more of this incognito universe in the future after the uh, next criminal arc wraps up. Ed and Sean will uh, 
we'll go back to incognito and, and do a second story for that. So I guess I think they might go back and forth, at least for a little while. If you just like your criminal from them, then you'll still get those stories, but you just might have to uh, to wait for them to finish your superhero stuff. But I definitely recommend incognito. Can't uh, can't say that enough. And I don't see how anyone can read criminal and not incognito. And it's uh, it's. I mean, there are different. One is superhero-y stuff, and one is not. And I've heard some people say that they're not vibing on the superhero aspects of it as much as they are his straight-up crime and war stuff. So it's I almost can see like how the other side of a coin, though. I, it, it's not. Well, I agree with you. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying, I, I I could see how. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could have. Yeah, but if, if people if, say the same thing about Rucka, you know, oh, I love but, his espionage stuff, but I can't stand his superhero mm-hmm. stuff. So right. What if um, Willingham and Buckingham did a crime? book you'd buy it i mean you wouldn't even consider not buying it because you know what the, these creators are capable of from fables yeah, yeah but what so, i'm saying is that i we would I'm, I'm just saying you would i i'm i'm getting us off track but you just said i can't imagine who would not read both I, i'm saying i i don't think that one should assume that they are totally coincident i mean i can certainly see that some people would like one and not the other i i'm hmm. of the same vein as you two i've i've been reading cognitive i haven't read the last issue yet but i i've been enjoying it and see it as very very similar i'm getting the same enjoyment out of incognito I'm, I, i've gotten out of criminal but i it, it is different in a way i mean i don't yeah you know. no it's the same same creators but i think it's not hard to see that that they can be catered to different audiences if you if you grabbed criminal and um, shrunk it down to like the size of parker and stuck that on the bookshelf at, at barnes and noble or borders next to the crime books people are going to buy criminal but if you you know put that same book if, if you package incognito the same way you're not going to get the same same people really aren't going to to jive both the casual reader i guess or someone who's not following whatever these creators do if they look at it and go okay well it's a superhero story what's next but then if they if they see that you know this is kind of like a noir film on paper with with some pretty grimy characters and 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 I mean, Criminal's a book that you just, you need a shower when you're done with it. It, it yeah. feels grimy. You feel dirty after you read it. And, and it's, I mean, that's, that's a book that almost get, gets to every, every five. One it, of the five it's sentences. almost as if the absence of superheroes gives this stuff an air of legitimacy. And that's just weird. That's crazy. It is. You're right. I, I you know, now that you mentioned, I know a lot of people that wouldn't consider reading a superhero book. That's, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, they're missing out. Oh, well, yeah. And for the table, there's lots of people that, as David alluded, actually, I would say a lot more people that read superhero books and have no interest in the same creators' nonsense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pa- right. for as successful as Powers is, sells a fraction of what you know Bendis sells with Avengers. They're relaunching that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This, next this month, uh, this, too. This, this Diamond is new. Yeah, Powers number one relaunch. Yeah, um, and you know what? I should learn to keep my mouth shut. Because that the def- definitive powers volume one, I went back the day after the episode was was out. Gone. I'm not saying it was because of me, because anybody who knows that that was out of print would scoff it up. But yeah, next time I'm going to say, oh, I got the powers thing. I'm not going to do it before the fact. I got Sorry something yet. that I wanted to talk about that I figured would make David happy on his birthday. Happy? Oh, what, what? Should I start rubbing? Rubbing oh, tug. Please. Uh, I would like to talk about. A book that I was woefully behind on, and I'm now caught up, and I know it's one that you love to talk about, Black Panther. Dude, now it's my turn to be a couple issues behind. Oh, really? Go on. No, 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 no. Talk about it, because I can't. I, I Did issue eight just come out, or does it come out Se- tomorrow? Seven just, yes, yeah, seven is the most recent one that came out. Okay, tomorrow. so six and seven were, uh, were, were, or was just seven, the Jonathan Mabry issue? Yes, seven was Mabry. Okay, so so tell me about that one because I haven't read that one yet. Okay, well, so, wait, Hudlin's not writing it anymore. No, 
Well, seven is credited to Hudlin and Mabry. I assume it's yes. like a self type of thing, and then uh, Mabry takes over. But actually, believe it or not, um, my catch up goes back even further than that. I I had not read the last two issues of the Secret Invasion. Oh, the last yeah, the, the three issues. Okay. And what's funny about that is we talked just briefly a few weeks ago about how we were geeked about the potential of Rick Remender writing the new Brother Voodoo, Dr. Voodoo, um, ongoing yes. as the new Supreme. And I think, I don't even know if we talked about it on the show, but I know on Twitter you and I exchanged because they announced that the artist for that book is a gentleman by the name of, of Hefte Palo. Yes. And I, hadn't, I didn't know his name at the time, and you had mentioned to me a few of the things that he had done. Moon Knight and, and a Wolverine story, yeah. Well, he's the artist on the Secret Invasion three issues of Black Panther. you know who the writer is? Jason Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. So I had read the first issue, but I had just gotten so Secret Invasioned out that I have (laughs) a collection of maybe a dozen or so of the quote-unquote tie-in books that I just ended up stacking up, and I kind of moved past them and started reading a lot of the series after the fact. I said, I'll go back. So I was catching up, and, and I knew that I hadn't been reading the new Black Panther because for some reason... Issue number one, either I didn't pre-order it or I did, but DCBS was short and then they owed me an issue. But somehow or another, I didn't get issue number one until about, uh, I think, a month ago, which was, so it was already after five issues had been out. I didn't want to start the series until I had issue number one, so I was just waiting for it. But now that I had the whole series back, I said, let me go and read it. And I realized that I hadn't read the last two issues of the uh, 40 and 41. So first of all, I just have to say this Hefte Palo dude is redonkulously good. Yes, he's, he is. He's going to be. I mean, seeing his stuff in this three-issue Black Panther uh, Secret Invasion book made me all sorts of giddy for what he's going to do with with Brother Voodoo. For those who aren't Secret Invasioned out or, or or don't mind doing a little back issue diving, I would definitely recommend. And even if you weren't reading the Black Panther ongoing on the regular, picking up issues thirty-nine, forty, and forty-one of of the book. It's it's a three-issue arc that ties into Secret Invasion, but it's completely standalone. You don't have to know everything else that happened in Secret Invasion. To understand this it's a pretty easy premise a group of scrolls come to invade wakanda and uh, unlike most today of black, oh God. <laughs> black panther has his shit taken care of you know as you would expect him and, and he handles his business and in a not way. just black panther that's right like, yeah everybody yeah no it's, it's 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 a great black panther story i mean it could just be forget about the secret invasion banner on it it's just you know aliens invade wakanda absolutely and, yeah that's what he's got to do and unlike a lot of the series, it makes Aurora, uh, it puts her in the forefront too as being really important and, and significant, which yes. I love. Because, so anyway, I just wanted to shout that. I mean, that's a pretty old, it's what, it's almost a year now, but I just, I definitely deserves a shout out because yet another example of, of how Jason Aaron is a special writer. Because he can step into a book that he's, you know, not even having any build up and, and change the entire tenor. And that's coming from, you know, I've generally enjoyed. Reggie Hudlin's run here too. So it's not like, you know, he stepped into a book that wasn't doing, wasn't. T- telling compelling stories and changed I, I just think that he you know whereas Hedlund I think was a solid BB plus for most of his run I think you know Aaron threw out a, a quick three issue A story so yeah so then they renumbered it and of course the big controversy or, or intrigue at the time was the Marvel had that solicit art forever of, of a female Black Panther and and they had different pictures of different Marvel heroines super and some were ridiculous too right? Sue Storm yeah Sue Storm <laughs> and, and so ridiculous um <laughs> <laughs> um, so issues one through six are the first arc, and they do have the Dark Rain banner over them. I guess they're Dark Rain tie-in. I mean, well, yeah, because you know, we- well, just like 
just like Reed approached T'Challa and mm-hmm. wanted him to be part of the Illuminati, right. uh, Norman and, and Namor and Doom. T'Challa has a meet-up with Namor, and they do the whole bro hug thing, which I thought was kind of funny. Two <laughs> 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 regal statesmen, they do the bro hug. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and yeah, Namor makes the reference of, hey, you know, I can't believe you're not, you're not in on this Illuminati with us. And he said, well, you know why I'm not, but now you're in with, with Norman Osborn, and Namor says, I'm doing what I got to do. And uh, basically, you know, kind of sets the tone there. But then he ends up having confrontation with Doom, and it doesn't go that well. And, he didn't say the least. <laughs> yeah. In the least, the book is is again it's it's written by Reggie Hudlin. Although that changes as with we just alluded with issue seven, Hudlin hands over the reins to uh, Jonathan Mabry, 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 Mabry. And there were uh, I think like issues like four or five or something. There were a couple issues towards the end of that, the deadliest of the species arc, where there were special thanks given to Jonathan Mabry in the credits. So it's it was something that I guess was taking place over a couple of issues. The art in the first six issues is by well, pencils are by uh, Ken Lashley. Yes, and then uh, I guess uh, Neary and Mounts are on the book too, right? Yeah, Neary. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's quite a they, theme. Yeah, I don't. I'm not all that familiar with Lashley's work, although. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I seem to recall his his having a bit of a reputation back in the day of uh, right of not wasn't even not all being... that long. Ago. Well, he I think he has his really really good days and some really not. Are. Yeah, yeah. there. Uh, I think there's a studio involved. He used to do some uh, spot illustrations for for Wizard. He did a pretty cool priest written I think two parter. Uh, Legends of the DC Universe with the old uh, version of the Justice League of America and. Most recently, the reason why I think maybe a lot of people were down on him was that he was part of the relaunch of Flash, the Fastest Man Alive series. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Ooh. I didn't read that. I did not read that. Yeah. Not something okay. for the resume. I inquired when the first issue shipped, you know, who's on the book, who's doing it, and the uh, local comic guy said, you know, Lashley, he said, I'll be really surprised if he makes it to six. Well, he did. So he made it to he six. Do- yeah, he does have a reputation. Beautiful artwork, but does have that. You know, I think having Neary help. Yeah, yeah. I, so yeah, I, I can't hurt. Was totally fine. No. I, I, I thought it was good. It's solid. Will Conrad is on seven. I don't know if he's the new ongoing or. or I think he is. I think it's a new team. Okay, so, but but so yeah. So the first six issues were an arc there, and I thought it was it was pretty good. I mean, I will say that there was a part where I kind of was a little uncertain as to it, it, it. There was a kind of in the middle. I thought it dragged a bit. You know, where he he's basically in the the other uh, the other world or whatever. You know, the afterlife, whatever you want to call it. And I I, I kind of thought, wow, this is really dragging on. And yeah. you know, it's not it's not a very the, the, at the core of the story is is a very familiar. I, I think one of the more familiar uh, tropes in fiction is the the deal the old deal with the devil, right? Which is where you, you, you for some reason a, a devil or or a devil like being has has possession of your soul in the afterlife, and it's a matter of can you figure out a way to trick him into letting you back or giving your soul back? And that's kind of what this is essentially in a way is. For those uh, fans of the JMS Spider-Man run, our our good friend Moreland comes back, the Totem Eater. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's the big bad in the book, along with Doom. But I have to say that I, I guess in a world where 
these books are written for the trade, the way they wrapped up everything and took seem- two seemingly disparate storylines about the Doom and the Moreland issues and wrapped them both into one and, and tightened it up, I thought was well done. I mean, I think they took two storylines that were that didn't have much overlap in the first few issues and, and did, I think, neatly tie them up together at the end, which was which was well done. Um, I don't know what you thought about who the female Panther was, if that was a, a big reveal or not. I, I wasn't I was kind of nonplussed about it because it seems like a logical choice. I mean, all things that we know basically. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was. I'm like, okay. I mean, it wasn't going to be any of the uh, his, his concubine. It wasn't going to be. Was it the, the, the Dora Milaje? It wasn't going to be, or the Milaje. They. Uh, it 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 did make sense, and that whole you know, well, you're not worthy, and and I, I did like it. I mean, you are. I agree with you with where where some things were, especially when the parts that tended to drag for me a little bit was maybe not not even drag, just a bit abrupt, like the cutscenes back to like. Wakanda Central and, and everybody's making sure that, you know, well, well, we're not going to be attacked or we have the best defenses. And then, and then you go back to, to Aurora and, and to Chalin. It's like, that was a little jumpy, but you know, it, if it fit the story, then, then so be it. Right, right, right. Now you have not read the seventh issue? Not yet. Basically, at the end of the six, we're wrapped up. We we know who the female Black Panther is. She's got an important place in Wakanda. Our our man is 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 back in the land of the living. I don't think that's giving away much. At least if you read the solicits, it's not. There was actually there was a um there was a recent Marvel comic I read where I think T'Challa was in a hospital bed or or recovering or recuperating, and Aurora was oh. Maybe it was. I think it was Utopia. Oh yeah. Okay. So so right. So right. That's exactly where we're at. I mean, he's he's recovering. Aurora's by his side. And and the seventh issue to me was. What um, is he recovering from? He was dead. He, basically. So yeah. Charles was, was dead. Doom it, killed him. Doom fucked him up. Yeah. They were fighting, and Doom was he was no match for. I mean, he's obviously black. T'Challa is a badass, but I don't know that he's any match one on one with Doom. <laughs> uh, um. He's and, a black you know, Batman. Doom took, yeah. Doom took him out, and uh, and, and so he. <laughs> He's recovering from that, and, and he's he's not a hundred percent. Put it that way, without giving. And where was he in the interim? He was in the effectively a a, a type of hell. It, well, f- physically, his body was in like uh, the the Luke Skywalker regeneration chamber after they left ah, Hoth. But okay. but he his 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 soul his his, his right his, his that was fighting death and 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 trying to come back from hell. Aurora, like a good woman. Was there Felicio involved? No. That seems to work really well in hell. (laughs) Yeah. Aurora does what she's got to get her man back like like any good woman should. And um, Nice. I I, I don't want to – because it's a book I know you enjoy reading. The the seventh issue, uh, it's it's a pretty traditional, I think, first issue of an arc. Uh, It kind of resets the status quo. A lot of diplomacy in it. A lot of talking heads. Um, We do see our, our buddy Everett Ross make an appearance Yay. that's cool um and he kind of puts uh shuri who is t'challa's sister in in her place uh which is <laughs> neat to see so fans of the priest run will certainly be happy to hear that it introduces some all five of us yeah really <laughs> <laughs> the three of us on the call plus a few others uh <laughs> that's um, not nice <laughs> it, it alludes to t'challa <laughs> taking on a new role somewhat predicated on his current physical condition put it that way it expands on the Dora Milaje mythos. I think it's it sets up that they're gonna they're gonna go in a new direction that we haven't seen before, which is kind of cool. My one criticism of it, and it, it's just something I guess we're gonna have to get used to as long as Marvel's in Manhattan and and our current POTUS is the POTUS. There's another fucking Obama appearance, and, and <laughs> I got nothing against Obama. You know, he's my, you know, it's all good. But but I mean, <laughs> I, it, do we have to have a Marvel comic a month with with Obama in it? I mean, it sells. I, I 
Yeah, but it's not even advertised. Who, I, I right, didn't... yeah. Who's going to know unless you're... Cause oh, he right, okay. Not on the front cover. Know, and yet he's front and center in the first half of the issue talking to Shuri. She comes to visit the U.S. on a diplomacy mission and he's <laughs> down with her and has a chat like two like any two heads of state would. And it's like, all right, really? I mean, come on, dude. He's even in, uh, th- there's even a slight cameo appearance in uh, the Dark X-Men, the beginnings uh, miniseries. Well, oh, and you boy. know that Bo, Bo Bama is in Pet Avengers. Right. About yeah, he, he's so, but uh, but no, I thought That's it was a fine issue. Awesome. I mean, yeah, I, seven's a great jumping on point. If you you know, if people I know these days like to jump on when a new arc starts, it's a new arc, uh, new writing team. So I would you know, it's good good as any time as any to jump on it. But uh, no, so I, I guess I read eleven or twelve issues of Black Panther last week, and uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's good stuff. It's one of those things. As with many books, I, I try as I get older to not let the continuity wonk in me, rear its ugly head, and all that, and. I think I'm getting better as years go on and just enjoying good stories for good stories. And I'm totally on board with that. But I do, a part of me does hope that in the not too distant future, T'Challa's back to being, you know, the front and center character in the book. I mean, just because I, I really love that. I mean, again, only because it's one of the characters I love. I mean, he's, he's a, probably a top five character for me in the universe. So I, mm-hmm. I, I want to see him have his own front and center. If he's not part of the Avengers, I want him to be the main character in his book, at least. So, and I, I don't know that, I, I have no reason to think that's not going to happen, but I certainly hope that he's not completely take a back seat for too long. I'm, you know, I'm fine. I don't want this to be a Captain America. I love Bucky as Captain America, and I'm, I'm not even really clamoring for Steve to get back and be Cap. Whereas in this, I, I want T'Challa to be Black Panther sooner rather than later. I'd love to see T'Challa appear, have a guest appearance in other books instead of other characters guest appearing in his book. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, we, we do it with Punisher, we do it with Deadpool, we do it with Wolverine, we do it with Spidey and, and, and Lord knows who else is, is in, you know, guest appearance by, but it's not like you don't see too many, too many issues where, and guest starring Black Panther. I, I would love to see that. And, and it's, it, it doesn't, I don't think it would be that hard to do. He's a head of state. He's, he, does he really need a reason to pop into like an issue of of Hercules of all things or or any title? I think he'd he'd make a good just pop in and out. Well, think about it. He's married to one of the old, one of the the premier X Men, former leader of the X Men, so he right. could be in that book anytime. I mean, there's no, in other words, Aurora seems to be having no trouble spending plenty of time in San Francisco these days. So True. <laughs> seemingly she yeah. could bring Chala with her, right? <laughs> so well, yeah, yeah. airfare from from uh, Wakanda is not that hard. Yeah, well, especially when you're the head of the state and you you're probably a, a multi billionaire in your own right. <laughs> hey guys, it's your favorite call and caller. Mr. Matthew Hammock, a.k.a. Blazefire33, and I am calling here live from the mini Megacon in Orlando, Florida, where I plan on meeting the famed writer, Mr. Jeff Parker, and getting him to autograph a copy of Mysterious the Unfathomable for me. And I'm feeling nice, and I think I might just send the autograph copy to somebody on the show who loves Mysterious the Unfathomable. All right, that's it. Call you back with some more uh, cool stuff I've seen here. Peace, love, and chicken grease. Like Vince alludes, he's he is the black Batman. I mean, he's you know basically a physical perfection, super duper smart. You know, just probably under that Tony Stark level, but also he's shown over the years that he's probably more cunning and. and willing to be a little bit more subversive to suit his own needs than the other quote-unquote geniuses in the world. You know, it, Wakanda is, as a country, 
totally badass. I mean, they've never been successfully invaded. It's one of the wealthiest countries in the world because of their vibranium. They have technology and advancements of healthcare and those kind of things that that no other country can compare to. So it, it's a he's got a rich tapestry of things to draw from. I agree. I'm thinking maybe we will see that though because the much anticipated Black Panther cartoon is finally upon us. Right? It starts yes. this fall. So I have to think they're going to give him major run in the comic. I would hope uh, because of that. So there's one um, thing keeping me from reading Black Panther. Uh huh. Aurora. No. Really? Way, oh, not my favorite. X Men, really, by far, got wow. us, us know. <laughs> miss, Miss, my shit don't stink high, higher than mighty. Uh, she drives me crazy. Well, hold on I a second. She She's, hasn't come across that way in a while for me. No, I, and not to mention, I mean, it actually makes sense that she'd be married to. T'Challa because she's her shit don't stink is because she's basically a, a considered in as part of Africa to be a, a goddess you know and, and he's, I know he's a head of state and he's he he unlike some guys like oh just call me you know tech he's he wants he's the he's the king he wants to be treated as the king and, and he's he's he embraces his role as a sovereign head of state so I I think they kind of fit together but I have to say actually the thing I would say about this Reggie Hudlin run since he's put Aurora in that I would say the one thing about his run. And it's a nitpick, but again, the continuity wonk. I think he makes Aurora much like the way you feel about Sue sometimes in Fantastic Four. I think he puts her in the backseat too much. She's one of the most powerful mutants on the earth. He's been the leader Arguably. of the X Men. I don't know. Oh, Look, if you want a storm, well, dude, call, there's call four. Right, well, Do it right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if we're going to get our geek, geek caps on, there's 198 mutants in the world. I, I'd say she's. So it's not too much of a stretch that she's one of the most powerful. Okay. She is quite powerful in her own right. And, and yet, for most of the book, she's kind of the coming to America, you know, reluctant woman, like, oh, I'm not quite sure my place as a queen. I got to look out for my man. It's a little at times but in like the last two arcs i think she's been more portrayed as his equivalent which i think she should be his equal she should not be his subservient in any way but. well I, I just find nothing nothing at all interesting about the character the the wow, the, the days of the thief uh, as a child and the whole resurrected thing with gambit that was kind of fun but over the years now she's the least interesting mutant is one of the least anyway i mean picture this picture this a firing squad tied to a pole you got aurora and (laughs) maggot i'd save maggot that's insane or or even marrow you know just uh, she she really does nothing for me kitty was always the draw for me in in that period kitty and then you know psylocke mm, okay back. yeah but literally back you see that finch cover yeah. oh yeah look at my ass baby but no I, and it's not it's i just don't like the character i don't know and and that was the problem i had with the civil war era black panther uh-huh. i thought it was really well written and and namor made an appearance in there and it was rocking and then you know you, oh yeah because uh, of world tour right yeah and the whole aurora thing just so were you not on board with McDuffie's FF run? Yeah, but it's the FF. Well, for the FF. I know, but it's the FF. Okay, you got to take the bad with the good. Right. Huh. So, you, you know, it is Aurora. I, I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit. I don't find like her I all that distasteful. They, but they put Deadpool in a team book. Yeah, because he's great. Uh, uh, not not, not one of my favorite. Don't stop me from slapping you silly for bringing from for smirching my man weed. Slapping you silly. <laughs> slap fight. Give my birthday slaps. Since we're making <laughs> confessions, I have one. I gorged myself on GI Joe this weekend. I am. <sighs> I read to the present issue on all three series. I think I was a bit hasty in my call to drop the singles and wait for the trade. 
It's so funny you say that because I am ready to stop reading the, the main title. Really? I am bored to tears with it. I like the pace of the main title. It's slow. Oh, I think it's so slow. And it's and it not only is it slow, but it's fucking the exact same story that they did 20 years ago in the G.I. Joe and with, Marvel. With the mass driver and stuff. But see, I don't remember the original stories. I, I have them, read them, but to tell you the truth, I don't remember them all that much because I was more in the Transformers camp. And I, I bought the G.I. Joe because, you know, we all did. And... Not really my cuppa back then, but now I'm I'm enjoying it a lot more. I I can retain a lot more because I'm I'm older. I've seen a lot of this stuff in the real world, you know, through right. the news and and stuff. So I retain more of the the information, and I and I I can relate to a lot more of it. I think the the pace on and it's slow, not to you know, throw you into the world of the Joes head first and expect you to remember this huge cast of characters and their relationships. And like Destro, I can't tell you Destro's origin in the old series. I don't remember. So yes, this, this is, is tailor-made for me. Yeah, but, I, and again, it's it's an, I was really enjoying it, but it's really slowed down for me to the point where I, I think I'm going to have to jump the trade on it because now part of this is that the G.I. Joe cartoon, which as far as cartoons go, and my age and wheelhouse that was pretty much the cartoon i most loved in my lifetime so they just came out with the first season on dvd and i bought it to get my kids into it and we watched a, we watched the the mass device arc which is the first uh, mass five device episodes. that's a mass driver yeah. sorry the first the first five episodes of the cartoon are the mass device and for people that didn't grow up in that era it's basically cobra is it's the first five ish five uh five uh episodes of the cartoon so you're introduced to cobra and, and gi joe this way uh destro has is a weapons builder has built this device which lets them teleport massive amounts of th- huge things like the eiffel tower or giant armies and in order to use it though it's they ha- they need these three elements that are very rare and uh, of course gi joe and cobra both race to these esoteric parts of the world to get these elements and 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 gi joe needs to try and build their mass device to counteract cobras whose cobra's threatening to to take out world capitals and stuff whatever it's a you know classic and uh, i think you can even see all the entire two hours or so on on the web if you go to gi joe.com for free actually but i watch it with my sons and after the first issue uh my my oldest son colin who's six i said what'd you think buddy because i really want them to like gi joe because i like it and he says it was okay but it was pretty boring there wasn't a lot of action i said well you know what i said it's the first it's the first episode of of a, of a long long running cartoon it, there'll be more action subsequent so we watched the the whole mass mass device arc, and at the end, both my my six year old and my four year old liked it a lot. And they said, "Yeah, it really got, got the action really kicked in. We really liked it." And they're dying to watch the rest of the season now. And I was just thinking as I'm reading this this GI Joe comic book, I'm like, "Man, in what is it, five, six seven issues? It, we are like one fifth of the way through." Where the cartoon was after the one episode that my sons were bored to tears in, and I'm just like, dude, you got to get on with it here because the first part of that book, which we talked about ad nauseum, was effectively a a page for page recreation of the GI Joe comic, which was that you know Cobra in, sends these these drones into the the pit and 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 they have to defeat them before they 
they show Korra the location. That's exactly how the G.I. Joe comic back at Marvel started. And now we're in this mass device thing, which is how the cartoon started. And I'm fine with all that. I'm fine with the, the, this, the reboot. But, dude, you got to get on with it. I'm sorry. You can't spend three issues in Castle in Castle Destro with the Baroness and him fl- flirting and uh, alternatively flirting with each other and then trying to, to shoot each other. It, you got to move on. With, I'm sorry. you got to move on. But at the same time, as they're reworking all these old plots, they're establishing the characters and their the way they relate to each other and their their history so if, for a novice into gi joe it's perfect see, see we both have see you you're steeped yeah. in the stuff i never watched the cartoon when i was a, fair enough yeah you know. well I, I actually to our listeners out there who are reading it but are novices i would love to hear what they think because i suspect that people that aren't that familiar with gi joe from a nostalgia standpoint are six issues in and bored to tears I really suspect oh, that. See, I don't see that. Happened. No, nothing's happened. What's what happened? You, they they vanquished all those mechanical. They beat up the robots. Okay, great. Yeah, and uh, you have um, the trio between Snake Eyes, Duke, and Scarlet. And Scarlet. She's effectively court-martialed for going out of her jurisdiction and dealing with somebody not sanctioned by. The, the, the muckety-mucks, so I, I just think it's pretty neat. I guess my point in specifically calling this one out is that you started by saying you caught up on all three, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts, but I, I love the, the other two I'm adoring. I, I thought the first arc of G.I. Joe Cobra with Chuckles was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, I love that they're going to continue with it, and, and the G.I. Joe origin, same thing. I, I think that's been terrific. And I have to tone- agree with you. So to me, those two, I, I'm all on board. It's just right. the main one I find myself not enjoying as, as much. But. Right. Out of the three, the core series is, I don't want to say weakest, but it's the least satisfying. I really liked the deconstruction of Chuckles. They tore him down in order to, bring, to oh, so build him back up again. Right. But uh, Origins is the one that's doing it for me. Definitely the best of the three. I, I wouldn't disagree. I think that, I think Origins and Cobra are very different books, but, but Origins is a total blast. Yeah, completely yeah. agree. It's odd to see a parental advisory on a G.I. Joe book, mm-hmm. which to me says that... Is it has, on all of them or just the Cobra? No, just the Cobra and the Origins. Oh. It, to me, it says that Hasbro's loosening up a little bit because in the past, I remember the guys at DDP complaining that you know Hasbro was really rigid in what they could do and what they couldn't do. But it, yep. seem, it seems that these IDW books, they've given them a lot more leeway in uh, representing their properties. I mean, let's be honest. These things are, are cash cows for Hasbro. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting because I remember Andy Schmidt did say that there were he was impressed, happily impressed with how much leeway Hasbro has given him from the overall tone and plot standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it's funny he, he was commenting that it's funny they basically, as you alluded, led, led, letting him, letting them tell very adult stories, which is a departure. On the other hand, certain things they are really insistent upon. A la, I think I mentioned they turned one of the G.I. Joe characters into a female because they wanted another female in the book. Yeah, the, dial uh, tone, the main, right? Yeah, dial tone. Well, yeah. right. And so they, they and they insisted on that. And then you know, with the whole roadblock heavy duty thing, they insisted that he couldn't be called roadblock; that he had to be heavy duty. So it's like little things like that. They're kind of laying down the law, but then they're letting them have free reign of the overall creative story, which is encouraging. I, I wonder, was that just because of the movie? They called him Roadblock or Heavy Duty in the movie? Uh, from what I read at the time when I saw that, and I was curious about it, if you go into, if you do a little Googling, it, I think it actually it relates more to a legal issue, kind of like the, the, with DC wasn't able to use Superboy for a bit. I think for some yeah. reason there was a legal issue with the, with, the, with the name Roadblock as it pertained to the character back years ago, which is why they replaced him as an action figure with Heavy Duty. So okay. in, in, the, in the action figures, the heavy, heavy Duty was supposedly a different guy, even though he looked exactly the same and had the same role. 
But it, now they're basically saying, okay, it's the same character. We just renamed him Heavy Duty with the relaunch. But yeah, so I think it's just something we do with that. And I usually, you know me, I usually balk at paying three ninety nine for a book. But these Joe books seem to be worth it. They, there's, mm-hmm. I, I'm really enjoying it because the majority of my mainstream purchases are all superheroes. So this is the pleasant little diversion from mm-hmm. the, the, the capes and the, the cowl stuff. You engorged and tingling over the this month's announcement and solicitation of the new Transformers ongoing? Yeah, and followed by a Bumblebee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's an ongoing. I think it's a mini. And there's another one, too. I, I, I'm guessing what they want to do, like the Joe books, they want to have three concurrent Transformers books right, right. in the non-movie continuity because mm-hmm. they also have their movie continuity books, too, right. which are just like the Joe books. The movie continuity stuff just does nothing for me. Right. Hey, 11 o'clockers. This is Bill Dowdy, who very cleverly goes by Bill Dowdy on the forum. How you doing? Um, I just wanted to share with you guys my Regina pile because in case you guys think you've got it bad, um, mine's pretty bad too. Let's see. Uh, we've got Jet Cat Clubhouse. Jay Stevens is awesome. We've got four issues worth of DC Blue Ribbon Digests, um, A Brave and the Bowl, A Christmas with the Superheroes, A Sugar and Spike, and um, Binky's Summer Fun. I'm hoping there's some Bob Oxner in that. Um the mass market paperback sized version of the Untold Legends of the Batman miniseries. Ace Face, The Mod with the Metal Arms by Mike Dawson. Parker the Hunter, this one's probably going right to the top of the pile because it's supposed to be awesome. Um, the Last Musketeer by that Norwegian guy Jason. This is going very close to the top of the pile too because it's he's equally awesome. Um, Girls with Slingshots Volume 1. Melvin Monster, the first John Stanley Library book. Or did that. Superman Sunday Classics, 1939-1943. This is a newspaper strip. I've got that on cheap at Barnes & Noble. So we got Action Philosophers, Volume 3. Modern Masters, Volume 6. Art Adams, Kaput and Zosky by Louis Trondheim. The Spirit Femme Fatale, the Black Diamond Detective Agency. Uh... Fate of the Artist, that's two Eddie Campbell back-to-back that I got at one of those book clearance um, outlet stores for a song a piece. That's awesome. Showcase Legion of Superheroes, Volume 3. Showcase Superman, Number 2. The Amazing Remarkable, Monsieur Leotard, more Eddie Campbell. Demo, though I'd read that in single, so really that's more of a reread. Uh, Zot, 1987 to 1991. That's kind of a reread, too, but I'm looking forward to rereading that. Best of the Legion Outpost. The complete, nearly complete Essential Hembeck Archives Omnibus. That's going to be huge. Blue Beetle Companion. Comic Book Tattoo. That's just the pile of trades and collections I've got to read. There's a whole stack of issues here to read, too. It's not as big, but it's pretty huge. We've got a couple of Legion Lost, some Marvel monster and western event things. Um, a couple issues of Wintermen, I hear good things. Some old classics illustrated. A whole bunch of random stuff I got at some store that was having a back issue blowout for 10 cents a piece. And then I've got a whole other box here with stuff like X-Men versus the Micronauts and a Distant Soil. And, uh, the first four issues of that indie anthology, Non and Ganges number two and 
Oh, Christ. Why am I bothering to talk to you? I should really just be sitting here reading. Dear Lord, I'm never going to be stopped. And yet, I still keep buying stuff. Comic fans are sick. We're sick, sick breed. What did you guys think of the uh, the Levitz news today? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to have to get to it sooner or later. Oh, well, I mean, we don't have to talk about it. I just figured No, it I mean, it, it's news. We have to. Like I said on the forum, it's obviously a reaction to last week's news where someone at DC realized that they are getting buried as far as movie revenue goes, even though Dark Knight made, what, $600 million? One but money. More, a lot, and and so did Iron Man. But if you stack up all the movies, I mean, Marvel is just squashing them in terms of movies. So somebody just woke up and said, "Hey, we better get off our our tuchuses and and try and combat this." And like I said on the forum, I think it's just a little bit too little, too late. Yeah. Well, on the bright side, because we want to be positive, let's yes. we're last at the Marvel news. Paul Levitz. <laughs> is not disappearing into the ether, and I guess after... Now, I don't have a lot of experience with, with Old School Legion, but he's already announced he's going to be the new writer on Adventure Comics. He's, he's going to take a Legion over again, so hopefully this will go better than the Jim Shooter return to Legion, <laughs> which uh, didn't work wasn't out the way I think. wasn't his fault. No, 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 I know, I'm saying I but yeah. but obviously that didn't work out the way anybody hoped him. It wouldn't be hard to top. Right. So Levitt's back on Legion is hopefully good, and it seems like he's going to be writing other stuff for DC. So he's, you know, he is what it is. I, I think it's, what's what's fascinating in this is that, you know, here we were last week talking about Marvel and Disney and how it likely, at, from, our, from a comics perspective, probably wouldn't mean much would change in the near term. I actually suspect this move will have more impact on the comic line faster. I, I actually think that... Uh, um, because again, the difference here is that uh, Levitz was, without question, the suit go-between. You know, he was the guy that was the, uh, the 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 border between Time Warner executives and DC, and and he he was that border. And, and he's gone now, and he's being replaced by two very very much corporate people. Um, Diane Nelson is a longtime Hollywood player. She's run the Harry Potter franchise, movie franchise for Time Warner uh, for the last decades so she's she's a power suit and her boss is the head of warner pictures so dc is now known as dc entertainment <laughs> very original there and they are now a subdivision and answer to the head of warner pictures so they are very much you know all the talk today was about how they're basically going to start ramping up the characters to better leverage in movies and tv and all that so clearly you're right Vince I don't know that this is a reaction necessarily to the news of last week so much as a maybe last week was the final straw as they've been watching in the last you know year or so what Marvel's been able to do I think it's probably been building and it's just like all right we got to get our shit serious right now yeah it'll be interesting yeah. Interesting things are... Um, but let's be yeah. honest. I, I, I hope this doesn't sour anyone's opinion of me, but I have to be honest. If it doesn't have a bat or an S on its chest, it's not going to compete with a Marvel movie. There are potential characters that could be another Iron Man, maybe, but the DC characters, in my opinion, do not have the recognition that the Marvel characters have. Aside, See, right. fr aside from Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four, you have Captain America, Iron Man, which is a huge franchise, even the Hulk. Hulk. How is DC going to combat this? Let's take Iron Man. What do they have that's analogous to Iron Man? Steel? We saw how that worked no, out. No, it doesn't be analogous. But see, again, I think you're. I mean, Iron Man, even in the comics world, has always been a perennial disappointment. I mean, Which, Iron Man has never been a big commercial hit. 
on the comic side. Right, which makes you, Marvel's even, accomplishment even even bigger. Right, because but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, Hollywood's a, a, a very fickle, what have you done for me lately thing. I, I think, I said this last week, if Green, there's no reason a Green Lantern movie can't be a huge hit if they market it right. It could and, be. It, the, yes, especially with Ryan Reynolds, who is yeah. currently hot. But why is he hot? Because he was Deadpool. Oh, no, right. no, no, so, no, 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 no. Oh no, it's all on Deadpool. It, Deadpool is, is the reason. <laughs> it's Deadpool, I think, was, yeah, I, I no, don't know. I, no, it's Deadpool. Uh, what um, I'm saying <laughs> is, you know, I think DC's characters. Look, I don't think there's anything more inherently classic from a movie perspective uh, about Captain America or Thor or Iron Man uh, as there would be about some of DC's characters. I mean, well, I'm I talking see that. I, layman I mean, I, recognition. I, again, well, I don't think the average the, American had a clue who Iron Man was before the movie was a hit. No, I know, I know, I, I know. People at work, they're like, "So, who's this Iron Man dude?" And it's, okay, right. And even even doesn't matter if if D- DC's gonna. It, it said DC Comics before Superman Returns. That movie wasn't all that great. It, it said uh. DC Comics before Watchmen, and 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 I know a lot of people did like Watchmen, but I don't think it was the huge success they were expecting it to be. Marvel and Marvel Knights was at the beginning of of Punisher Warzone. I enjoyed that movie, but I know a lot of people didn't. Yeah. I think DC would have much more success in Hollywood if they focused on their Vertigo properties and not their mainstream superhero properties. But that, but but does that get tricky? Because those aren't DC proper properties. I mean, you can go Constantine, yay, again, or you can, you know, Swamp Thing. But but I mean, are you going to, you know, if if DC wants to make their properties prosperous, are they going to go to Scalped and split the money with Jason Aaron? Are they going to go to are, are, are they going to go to, to, to Fables and split the money with Willingham? I mean, you're going to have you. There are a lot more hands involved. I mean, if they want to make exterminators for TV, you got Tony Moore, you got uh, Simon Oliver. There are more people you're going to have to pay out there. Whereas if you just have Batman or Superman or Supergirl, yeah, well, then that's can, just that's just DC. Right. Yeah, there's no reason. I mean, look, DC. I, I just don't. There's no reason under the right hands that that something like. Wonder Woman or Green Lantern or The Flash, uh, you know, couldn't be huge hits. I mean, even, I don't know if you guys watch Entourage, but back when, when Entourage was Vince, yeah, Vince was Aquaman and it was the biggest movie ever. I mean, again, so even that's that's the character you'd think, who the hell knows who Aquaman is? Well, I mean, a lot of people, our generation and, and a little older, grew up with Super Friends. We all know those characters even more so than I think people know some of the Marvel characters. So I don't, I don't, I just think it has to be managed better. They just need to make better movies. Again, I, I think Superman, that Superman Reborn just wasn't a very good movie. I mean, just, you know, it didn't, didn't satisfy audiences to the point where they need to reboot it again. But, but Marvel had flops. I mean, look, Fantastic Four was not, I mean, I didn't think those movies were very good. I mean, they, right. but they you, were good you enough. have to, Admit that Marvel has, be, well, whoever at Marvel has become very adept at cultivating, and I said this before, cultivating that air of cool around their properties. We Absolutely. are Marvel I mean, and we and are cool. Why, right, and, and that is why we're seeing what we saw today with Levitz and that Marvel is, D, is now DC Entertainment. There's no guarantee that them doing this is going to be successful. But I totally understand why DC or Time Warner finally said, yo, we yeah. need to do something here because Marvel is making $700 million franchises at a freaking Iron Man <laughs> by picking good actors and actually having a tight, a good well-written director. story and a good director. Right. And there's no reason we have as much resources. And actually, you know, Warner is... Yeah, we have our own studio. Right, Marvel absolutely. had to build theirs. You, DC's... The, the, 
Absolutely. The back door yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. So David's uh, aghast. I, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I will say, you know, um, I, I, there was, there's a lot of news coming out of the. I, I saw something just before we we started recording about, I guess, a memo that's on some of the blogs now. I think it's on Bleeding Cool and uh, Heidi's Beat, but about uh, Diane Nelson, who's the new head, sending a memo to the DC staff, you know, assuring them of how important they are to the future of the company. And I guess her and her boss, Jeff Robinov, will be in in DC headquarters next week to say hello and meet everyone. So, you know, look, there's no question, there's a new sheriff. In town and it's going to and be different one and and the first time she was mentioned everybody uh i guess the the mind started going about wondering how long now before we'll uh we'll actually get a harry potter comic book because apparently diane nelson yeah. is is very close with with, with well, that's, Rowling, yeah. so. right. that's been her main claim to fame is that she's overseen the the, the movie franchise and, and i mean for, uh we're talking what a, over the uh was it five now five, is it four or five movies that have come i out? think but, five Okay, yeah, and each one's done what? Well, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars domestically and even more domestically. So, I mean, that's a huge franchise for for them. But um, um, the cool thing I'll say though is much like with with the with Marvel in the comics. I mean, um, at least for now, they're doing a good job of of singling out that uh, that the comics are going to remain important. I mean, even in the press release today announcing the changes they say in the second paragraph they actually specifically throw out numbers and say the dc comics publishing business remains the cornerstone of dc entertainment planning on releasing approximately 90 comic books and 30 graphic novels a month so i mean you know that those are hard and fast numbers they're going to be held they're already calling them graphic novels 30 yeah. graphic novels a month? When has well, DC that, but ever that's not, No, but that's not... No, that, that, that's trades. That's hardcovers. That, that's trade paperbacks. Those are collections. Yeah, that's, that's not a right. original graphic. Have they been hitting that? Well, look at, uh, look at your DCBS order. There's like five or six just on one Batman yeah. page alone. They collect... They put out the trades for all their regular stuff. And, and they could they be have... averaging in the backlist. You know, it, well, I was going to say, because that probably includes the backlist then. Oh, totally. That would include anything... Yeah, that would include like absolutes and showcases, I'm sure. Okay. But, yeah, then they but, have been hitting it. Yeah. But, it, but so my point is they did come out and say that which is cool i mean i so i do think at least for now they're they're i mean they understand that comics are an important idea factory and and so i don't think but but you know it, it it'll be interesting to for sure and um i, I guess david was busy today with his birthday and uh, other things but i was curious what you thought of uh, our man joe q uh finally speaking his mind on the merch I, I i clicked on your link i didn't finish uh, reading the cup of joe yet it will probably result in better comic book movies because whenever you introduce competition into an equation where both sides have to scramble to outdo the other, th- there's always that, that jockeying for position where they're going to try extra hard. And mm-hmm. especially when you have Misney that has to prove themselves in the marketplace. They have to prove to all those people holding the dollar bills that have stock in this entity that they can do it and then now you have dc entertainment who has to prove that yeah we're just as viable as the other dudes look what we did so mm-hmm. it probably will result in some damn good comic book movies so we win there's nothing lost there but i still feel like they're gonna have to triple time it to catch up to marvel well i will say this i do think whereas last week i i, I wouldn't have made as much conjecture i do think now that this has happened I'm not as confident that, that Diamond's situation is as status quo as I would have thought after last week, which I thought was kind of not. I, I think this could very – it isn't very hard, at least based on my history of understanding how these, these uh, execs think about things, of, of them looking at you know all the talk today. If you look at all the DC stuff, it's all about synergies and bringing it all in-house and really streamlining things. And when you start talking about that, 
and you consider what a powerful distribution business they have on their own, I really wouldn't be shocked for them to say, well, wait a minute, why are we, why do we have this Fakakta relationship with Diamond when we can distribute it ourselves? So I, again, I don't know that you see anything in the near term, especially because DC has a financial interest in Diamond. But mm-hmm. whereas with both of these changes happening, I wouldn't be shocked come sometime next year to see some pretty major changes to the direct market, which I know has Vince all excited and probably he's rubbing himself right now. <laughs> it, 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 it does have me excited, but it does have me also very much afraid. Not for mm-hmm. Marvel and for DC, but for everybody else. Oh, yes. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm scared shitless for Dark Horse and IDW and Image and they they have their own level of, of trepidation they should be feeling now but the little guys like Antarctic and Asylum and Dynamite they, they're probably okay. amazed what do you do? The, the entity that takes our stuff and disperses it may not be there tomorrow we are fucked we, we it's have really to... funny because couldn't you imagine though a scenario where DC says Diamond we love you but we're doing it in house and then Marvel says well if they're doing it in house and we can't obviously if 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 Warner does its own distribution they're not going to let Marvel distribute Marvel comics so Marvel says well geez we could either stick with Diamond buy Diamond or we could do it ourselves because Disney ha- and all of a sudden you have a scenario where they're both distributing their own comics again could you imagine the irony of then Diamond for its own survival having to become really indie friendly because that's all they'd have left they're going to be like fun? cold cut was wouldn't and, that be and, fantastic yeah. ironic though yes it would but you know change is sometimes good but this is a gray area where a lot of people could find themselves well yeah and and let's i mean it's all conjecture on our parts who i could be look i could be totally talking about my ass and, and the diamond deal may be totally rock solid safe for all i know i just got after after today's news though whereas last week i didn't think it was much to it i i, I do think now with both companies clearly positioning themselves and DC very very strongly reacting to the to the Marvel move. I I, I now wonder if, if Diamond's not potentially got some splaining to do. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, you're right. I do loathe Diamond, but better the the devil you know mm-hmm. than than the there one I go. don't. So with all the and he may not even play into the the PR releases and 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 whatever conversations went on today. Has anybody said boo about Dan DeDio? What what his it, does his role remain the same? Does anything yeah. change as Does far as... Care? Well, Dio actually posted some things about... Uh, actually, nice. Dio's blog broke the news about Levitz's writing work today. Okay. You know, he, he put a little soliloquy about how much Levitz meant to him and his career and that he's really looking forward to, you know, helping Paul, you know, reignite his creative juices, all that stuff. And he broke the news about the Adventure Comics and all that. But, uh, yeah, from the from what I saw of the DC, all the news from the corporate side of things, I did not see them even mention Dio. But to be fair, Marvel did not mention, nor would they, Joe Casada and all of that stuff either. I mean, he's, he, right. you know what I mean? So I feel bad what? for Levitz in a way. Why? Well, whether he was asked to step down or forcibly ousted from the position, it's still a change for the guy. And maybe he welcomes it, maybe not. But I think Levitz has done some really good work for DC. Not not in terms of creatively. I mean, behind the desk. I think he's he's pulled his weight. Think of um, your boy Savage Drank and Eric Larson. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was running Image, and now that he stopped running Image as, as the EIC, he's. He or publisher, he's definitely gotten his mojo back on Savage Dragon. Oh, hell yeah, he's blossomed. And, yeah. and he's in his interview he did with uh, with Chris and and Tom um, on AC a while back. Uh, you know, he came right out and said, "Look, I, you know, now that I'm not doing it anymore, I'm loving that I'm not doing it." it was it was a 
it was pain in the ass. You know, someone right. has to do it because you have to run the company. But he's enjoying being a creator, and I I agree with you, Vince. I don't think Levitz is going back to writing full time by total choice. I think this was one of those moves where like it was like we love you, Paul, and we want you to be part of the company, but you're not really fit to run the new corporate version of what we want to have this company be. But look, I mean, look, he's still. I don't think he's. I mean, it's not like they're kicking him out on his a- on his ass. Clearly, they're they're giving him a role, and I think taking over a pretty successful relaunch book. And seemingly a couple other projects already lined up. I don't think he's, you know, he's not on his ass, which, you know, could be a lot worse. They could have made him a scapegoat and said, you know, the reason we have, you know, 30% market share or whatever it is, and, uh, you know, it's because of, they didn't do that. You know, they're, they're not saying, oh, you did a bad job. They're just saying, hey, we're just going in a little different direction now. We really thank you for all you did. So I, yeah. I don't know. I mean. He could be he, giddy about this. Maybe it's like he, he didn't could. want to have the stress, you know? Who but knows? he did have one thing in his favor. He knew comic books going in. Yeah, for sure. I don't think you can say the same about these people. Hey, um, just a message to you guys, hey. We still love you, okay? No matter no matter how much the haters hate, we still love you guys. I know everybody's out there voice no matter how fucking stupid they are or whatever. But um I just wanna reiterate my love for this show. You guys are awesome. It this is a great the voicemails the voicemails are a great form for people just, you know, for us awkward motherfuckers, just call up and say what you think. Because, you know, someone's going to call and sound worse than you another day. You know what I mean? And it'll make you feel better. And then you'll call back later and sound worse than them. You know? We're all friends here. One big happy family. All right. Um, Love the show. And uh, talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. This brings me to a question, that, and maybe, David, you could speak to it, because I've always said, what is Dan Buckley's role? I mean, here I am, and I'm, I've, I've been a Marvel show. I, I don't know what Dan Buckley's role is. He's the is. publisher. Yeah, right, but what publisher. does that mean? It's a big corporation that publishes the books. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Pearl Mutter owns Marvel, and, and, uh, you know, and they have a bevy of senior executives that are on the conference calls and that run the company and handle legal and accounting. And I mean, so what does Buckley do? I mean, he, Joe Q's the, you know, he handles the editorial. So what does Buckley do? Wouldn't it be his his money that gets the... No, he's not the money man. If anything, he's technically Joe Q's boss, much like Levitz was DiDio's boss. Yes, but, no, right. He is his boss. But, he, so I guess he's like the EVP of publishing. I guess he's like overseas publishing. for. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's just that he's never, ever been... He doesn't ever get mentioned. Well, how is, how when, is in, a, when in um, doubt with anything that doesn't make sense for Marvel, all you have to do is say Excelsior. That's it. Just just say Excelsior. I mean, it all makes aside sense. From, aside from being <laughs> the publisher, he's, he's the C, he's the COO. But it's 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 just that the publishing division, so he doesn't have anything to do with the movies. But it's and I'm not I'm not going to say that oh it's the same thing as a newspaper publisher. I don't know. So J. Jonah Jameson is the publisher was of the Daily Bugle. What does that mean? Excelsior. Well, in, 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 <laughs> be the money man. But that ceased being the case years ago with DC and Marvel because obviously they had bigger. So he couldn't be the money. I'm I'm just asking. He couldn't be the money man of just the publishing division. No, no, because it's a. I mean, it's a. It's it's a part of a. Because the way the. Okay. I don't even okay. know what Buckley's stockholdings are. He may be a reasonably large shareholder. I don't. I don't know that. Um, it's possible. I, that could well be part of it. He's still in the mix because uh, Joe Q. 
you know, talks today in his Cup of Joe. And I got to give him credit. You know, we like to make fun of Joe Q sometimes. And I actually think that his, uh, his Cup of Joe today, if you guys haven't read it yet, um, read I did it. post a link to it on our forums. And where can our forums be found, Vince? Forum.bullpenbulletinspodcast.com or www.11oclockcomics.com. Yes. So Joe Q does do his Cup of Joe on CBR, Comic Book Resources, today. And I got to really give him credit for it because, and I'm sorry if, if I'm saying something you guys already know, but, you know, when a merger is pending like this, there, especially today versus even five years ago, there are tremendously heavy legal restrictions as to what can be said sure. um, by people that actually have inside knowledge. You know, we're all free. Everyone on the earth is free to speculate up the wazoo. But if you actually happen to be in the know, really you cannot – until the merger is done, it's really, very difficult. The SEC is all up in your ass if you say anything. So I actually didn't think we'd hear anything from Joe on this until the merger was done. And I thought he would say, look, I can't say anything. To his credit, he gives a fairly lengthy interview on CBR today about it. Now, he does not answer a lot of the questions people would hope he would answer, particularly because he can't. But he gen- I want to say two things. One, he genuinely – the things he didn't answer today, it isn't like he's just being coy. He really couldn't answer those questions. Two, he did, I think, a workmanlike job today of, of going above and beyond the call of duty because – you know, I have dealt with hundreds of mergers over my career in terms of what can be said and can't be said. And I think from his perspective as a guy that's in creative but clearly behind the, the walls, we say, I mean, he, he, he says that he was he was made aware of this merger about a month ago, had meetings with, with, with Iger and the team when they were, you know, kind of deciding whether they were going to do this. So he's known for some time he had to keep it a secret from even, you know, his, his top guys at Marvel and his, his you know, their he had to keep it a secret instead of how hard it was. I give him a lot of credit today for answering it. You know, the people were making fun of at the end of the interview. It's a huge legal disclaimer. But I think it's a testament to the fact that Joe took the time to do this because it was not – I'm sure this – he had to probably jump through so many legal hoops to even be allowed to do that interview that I give him credit for doing at least whatever he – he did as much as he could for the fans who have been dying to hear his perspective on it. That's all, you know, that's all I have to say. If you read the interview and you don't think he tells you much, well, he told you – I honestly think he told you as much as he could have without legal saying shut the hell up. So I got to give him credit for it. He could have got out of it real easy. What did he have to say? Just one Excelsior. word. Excelsior. would have made it all all right. To stave off a bunch of uh, stop buttons being pressed at this point <laughs> in the show, why don't we talk some kick-ass comics? You know, I read a five-issue miniseries. I don't know if this constitutes as kick-ass. Thanks to none other than uh, Frankie, known on our form as the Dildinator, I read the first five issues, or the all five issues of the first Anna Mercury series Ooh. from uh, Avatar. Okay. Okay. Which, of course, is written by uh, Warren Ellis. Big surprise. Yeah. You know, it's an Avatar book. Uh, and uh, art by, I'm going to mangle this, Facundo Perchio. Wow. Uh, so anyway. I an artist doing a comic An Avatar book. Talk. Yeah. Yeah. Working with Ellis. When I mentioned before about Sean Phillips and, and Incognito, about how uh, every panel is, is deliberate and, and nothing is, is just there because, you know, ooh, I want to do something fancy. There are some double-page spreads throughout these five issues. There, uh, there are some pages with, you know, three, four panels. There are some pages with five or six. There's, there's a lot going on here. It's, it's a complete story. There's a character that's introduced, and he's basically the reader, so you can get caught up to speed on, on, what, on what this is all about, on what Anna does on, on these different worlds and, and how they came about. And you get a little bit of a backstory about Anna. Nothing really spelled out, but just the way it's um, it's shown 
a day in her life before you know she reports to work things like that i really really like this i i i I liked it more than uh you know i think i liked it more than black summer i'm pretty sure i like it more than no hero the art's great the art is um there's some pages where i'm just like floored now does she have superpowers uh i want i want to say they're enhanced she um calls on control on on the headquarters and and they can boost it up once she hits a certain level then that's it that she, she she has she has a limited amount of of um of enhanced abilities. She's not super powered herself. Cybernetically, you mean? It's see, yeah. I I, I knew I should have written written. I knew I should have written things down. Yeah. So it's you know, right. I'm writing bitches. But I will say, if anyone has ever seen the woman that models for some of those covers at a convention, we saw her in Chicago last okay. year. She is stunning. <laughs> she's every bit of the character that appears on those covers and it, it, she's poured into that black leather jumpsuit thing uh, just striking really and ellis was signing uh over by the wall and she was mm-hmm. standing next to him you know with the gun and the, gl- the little glasses and and no one the eyes were uh, not on ellis but on her i mean she was so distracting and then you have warren ellis sitting there and it's, it's like he could have been in another room. There wow. you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's there's this whole. I mean, it's it's definitely an Ellis book. You can definitely he's he's all in it as far as uh, the the concept, the ideas, how Anna can do what she does. Uh, there was there was an accident. Uh, there are nine half constructed worlds hanging in invisible orbit around Earth, all of which have human beings living on them, none of whom are aware of the other worlds or their existence of Earth. This constitutes oh, that, the greatest mystery cool. and the greatest secret of our time. They're called super yeah. string knots. It's it's like other universes in, in bubbles is, is how it's mentioned. Kind of like Nibiru, the fabled planet X that oh, may or may not be there. Oh, oh cool. Okay. The basics of travel to the constellation. Uh, the main issues are what they call boomerang and loss of anchor. Living organic matter can move from here to there with a degree of impunity. Objects are subject to boomerang. The universe readjusts itself and anything we bring here shoots back there and anything up to 28 hours from pickup. Same with anything from here that we leave there. And, so, and when he says boomerang, he means explode. So it's, it's no surprise that it's very tech-heavy. It is. There, yeah. there was only one person who didn't turn into a bucket of guts on Boomerang. And you don't have... Okay, he's talking to the Prime Minister. Uh, we have the wearable anchor because you can't do anything in less than an hour, especially if you're worried about exploding. It's still massively unreliable, mind you. We have a crash load power into it on launch, and we never know how much anchor time we're going to buy. 16 hours is the record. How much of Ellis's voice comes through in this? Because I love the guy to death, but I will say sometimes he's too prominent in his books. That that snark, like kind of like your forum posts, that snarky, kind of kind of <laughs> bitchy, holier than thou. I'm one oh, Ellis. You're scu- no, 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 no. I'm talking about the man, not you. This, uh, you, you know, the holier than thou kind of elitist Warren Ellis attitude that he's cultivated over the years. Sometimes that takes center stage at the expense of the story in his books. Does he take a backseat? See, now I think think he does take a backseat because I think that's why I'll reread this before I'll reread 
Black Summer. I definitely felt him heavily right. in Black Summer. Here, I mean, it's like you said, it's tech heavy. There's stuff in here that, you know, only he would use based on things he's read about online and everywhere else. Because yeah. to me, gravel is Warren Ellis. Whenever I read, whenever I'm delivered the voice of gravel, it just seems to be Warren Ellis to me. I, it's kind of hard to separate the personality of the writer from the creations, right. because he has such a strong presence online and in his his text pieces and on his uh, pieces for Bleeding Cool. You you read a Warren Ellis piece, and the voice is very clear where it's coming from mm -hmm. we know warren ellis after all these years we know him he's a character not unlike gravel or anna mercury so you know sometimes for me anyway it's really hard to separate the the hand that's pushing the pen from the words i see that uh that there is a sequel so i'll, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll definitely want to check that out i i didn't know what to expect going in and uh I was very happily surprised. I mean, yeah, she's there. There's a whole team monitoring her. There are doctors making sure that uh, that she's not about to, you know, flatline. She she knows how to fight. You know, I mean, it's not like the Matrix where you know I know kung fu. It's it's uh, she can do these things, but because she's in another universe. I guess she needs the help, and, and she's able to, like, leap onto uh, onto a rocket that's about to go into orbit. So, so she leaps onto that. But nice. anybody else, you know, th th this thing is, is leaving the atmosphere, and, and, you know, she's getting icicles, you know, forming on her face. And they're able to – control is able to uh, – make sure, you know, keep her from, from freezing to death because she's trying to break into the rocket so she can at least try to stay warm or, or, or not die out there. And um, Sounds like it has a kind of OMAC air to it. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, yeah, I'd go with that. Oddly enough, it's one of the one Warren Ellis books I did not buy. Hmm. I, I And I don't know why. Hot female lead, Warren Ellis writing it, why didn't I buy it? I don't know. I can't, I can't say. But I skipped that for some reason. So now I'm going to have to go get the trade. And, and I saw there was... Uh, there's a funky-looking hardcover collection I saw over the weekend of this. There's a trade, naturally, a, a soft cover of it. That's another thing. I mean, maybe, maybe because I can't explain it, that might tell you right there that uh, that maybe you can definitely hear or feel, feel some Ellis in it. All right, you've piqued my interest, and that's all I can expect, right? Well, I'm glad. Now, it asked me for a uh, administrative email. <laughs> Okay, 
Get me on time. I gotta continue with Fred Van Lenty month. Yes. As promised last time, I read the five issues of Supervillain Team Up, Modox Eleven. Nice. And I was graciously provided these issues by forum member Max Hedrum, who issued me a challenge. And he said, if you are not a fan by the time you read these issues or you don't recognize the writer as something really special, something to that effect, I, I can't help you out. And he was com completely right. This series was all kinds of fantastic. Each issue compounds on the last and ramps up the action and the intrigue. Like the film from which it derived its name, Ocean's Eleven, it's, it's a classic heist. It's a caper book. Mm -hmm. Written by fabulous Fred Van Lenty, whom this month was named after. Drawn by Francis Portela. Inked by Terry Pallet and colored by Guru FX. In a nutshell, it begins with what I thought was a bit of much-needed backstory on George Tarleton, this low-level aim mathematician and, unfortunately, jilted lover. His affections for this hot and saucy Monica Rappaccini, who was a, an AIM biochemist with which he had a one-night stand. She uh, squashes his affections, slaps him down, basically. We had a one-night stand, that's all you were to me, get on with your life. But he decides to show the booch. He does possess the gumption to get ahead in life, and he volunteers for this MODOK project. But it's not MODOK with a K, it's MODOK with a C, an acronym which stands for, anybody know? Is it, is, is it Conquer? Mental like organism designed only for computing. Oh. Okay. The, the idea was to force, evolve him by billions of years to give him the mental capacity to ignite this perennial Marvel plot device, the Cosmic Cube. AIM was in search of, you know, a way to jumpstart this cube, so they thought, hey, we'll evolve this dude and maybe Mr. Big Brain can find a way to make this cube work. So flash forward years later, Modoc is, well George Modoc is still pissed that he was dumped by Miss Rappaccini who has now risen to the rank of AIM Scientist Supreme. So what Modoc does, he rounds up this rabble of criminals and cutthroats with one goal, pulling off the greatest heist in the history of the multiverse. Sounds like Ocean's Eleven, right? Breaching this impenetrable multidimensional fortress known as the Infinicide and snatching this power source. It's like a globe-like structure, but it houses a hypernova, a, a star that keeps exploding and reconstituting and exploding. It, so it, it's uh, this infinite loop of power. So who does he get to pull off this caper? Number one, Antonio Rodriguez, the Armadillo. Nice. <laughs> talk, talk, about, yes. talk about down on your luck, who is trying yeah. to make ends meet as a wrestler in a two-bit operation in Acapulco. Nice. He pulls, I think he left he, us a voicemail last week. Yeah, he <laughs> was, I think around this time he was bounced from the initiative, so okay. he's down in Acapulco trying to scrape two dimes together by wrestling. Thomas Fireheart, who long-time hey. Spider-Man, yes, long-time readers of Spectacular, probably, Spider-Man will know, is the Puma. Also appearing in Marvel Divas. Really? Fireheart is, yes. Cool. He was wrongfully accused of fraud and bribery in his dealings as the CEO of Fireheart Industries. Unfortunately, trumped up charges that, along with his antics as a superpowered mercenary slash contract killer, 
have disgraced him in the eyes of his tribal leaders. And now the tribal leaders are the dudes that give Fireheart the power to turn into the Puma. See where this is leading? Uh, Mentalo is a member of the group, also known as Marvin Flum, telepathic no-goodnik, who made the grave mistake of scamming one of the Purple Man's casinos out of $12.5 million. Oh, we have the Rocket Racer. Robert Farrell. <laughs> this is where I started geeking out. Rocket Racer. At the end of his financial and emotional ropes from tending to the needs of his comatose mother, whom I thought died a long friggin' time ago, way back in Amazing Spider-Man, but I guess not, because she's on life support, and he still... It was really neat. You see the, the mother in, in this dingy room surrounded by Farrell's little tech projects she's got the breathing apparatus on she's hooked up to all these monitors and on the nightstand there's like past due notices for a bunch of bills so they set up the scene really nicely deadly nightshade a genetics whiz who attempted to go legit at some point but was fired from her job answering phones at a clinic when she second guessed a doctor on a bad diagnosis so they oh, bounced her ass all of the characters modoc rounds up have something to prove. They're, they're on, on their last legs. They, they have no money or their status has been down more than a few pegs by life. So they're all eager to prove themselves. The Living Laser is another member. Arthur Parks, longtime Iron Man villain, a being of photonic energy who wants nothing more to be human again. And springing from the pages, the recent pages of Amazing Spider-Man, the Chameleon, or is he? Ah, mm. I, well, I don't think he is based on a cover that I thought I saw. I was waiting. No, no, but. he's not the chameleon. I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. It, it's to the members of Modox 11, it is the chameleon, but in reality, it's the ultra adaptoid being controlled by Monica Rappaccini. See? Oh, yes. So there's backstabbing, so, subterfuge. Dude, I, I don't know how I didn't buy this when it came out. It sounds badass. It is. It's awesome. Hidden agendas, revenge, duplicity, more subterfuge, constant twists and turns as the pivotal players try to outmaneuver and outmanipulate both their enemies and their teammates. Everybody has an agenda. Nobody plays it straight. There's always these hidden agendas going on. Modoc is not being entirely truthful with his charges. Rocket Racer has a nice little twist to his goals. Uh, the Living Laser does. Uh, you know who else is in this? The Spot. That's also, what I was waiting to hear. Also from Amazing Spider-Man, the dude that can permeate this dimension and pop up in different positions, he is also playing for another team along with MODOK. So nobody's what they seem, and they're all after this hypernova. And the Mandarin son steps into the picture at one point, as does, and David's going to squeal when I say this, so get ready to squeal. The big wheel is in this. Come on. <laughs> oh, my it's, God. It, and like everything Fred Van Lente interspersed within all this action and intrigue and backstabbing, there's comedic bits, really clever comedic bits. Like there are certain AIM operatives that know Monica Rappuccini's past with the the man, Tarleton, who, who became MODOK and the fact that she... She shagged him, so under their breath, they'll let it go that, you know, like, and, and she catches on after a while to the point where she, she physically kicks a guy off a platform and kills him because he happened to, to 
let fly with the fact that she bumped uglies with Modoc. So, I mean, she's bloodthirsty, but it's funny. It, it's it, absurd funny. And, so, Rappuccini um, doesn't take any Crappuccini. No, and she's she's hot. I encountered the name before reading this, and I said, where the hell did, did I hear this name? I thought it was in uh, Marvel Zombies 3, having read it recently, but it wasn't. She appeared in recent issues of Ms. Marvel. She hired oh. Deadpool to steal a bunch of baby Modocs, which is cool in itself. I'm going to have to look that up. And um, I don't know if this is spoiling anything, but she appears in recent issues of New Avengers The Reunion, the uh, Clint Barton oh, Mockingbird thing. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Visually, this is a stunning freaking series. Portela's style is kind of reminiscent of Steve McNiven. The, the clean, crisp line of a, of a McNiven, but there's these little bursts of linear shading techniques that kind of reminded me of Mobius. So, oh, cool. so, so you have this really clean line, and there's wide swaths of space in which to hold color. So Guru Effects are a major player in this book. The, the, the color is one of the most obvious, most striking aspects of the book because they, well, you've seen Guru Effects' work. They, they have this beautiful, fully modeled technique, not unlike the stuff we see from Choi and Obak. Right. It, it's this fully modeled, full color, just continuous tone, extensive color work, almost to the point where if you took away the line, yeah, the work would suffer, but the color work is so vivid that it could carry it. I would assume I wouldn't like to see it without the line, but I'm just saying if the line wasn't there, the the color is so strong it might just carry the book. And again, it's written by Fred Van Lenthe, so the highest compliment I can pay to the man is that membrane that is there between you and this work of fiction. To me, it was gone. It was like I was a observer in this world that he created for this story. There, there was literally no separation between me and the work. The, the dialogue is is natural, and it's delivered like you are experiencing these characters in real life talking to each other. There, there There's no of that grandois Marvel posturing language that Stan kind of championed. It, it's all plain English, plain as day, and it works really well. It's funny as hell. And there are brutal scenes in it, and there's a lot of great action. It's fantastic. It's a really good series. And thank you, Max Headroom, for sending me this, because if you didn't kick me in the ass, I I probably would have being on the Fred Van Lenty kick recently. But I think you instigated it with this, because the covers... You have Eric Powell on the first cover. Jurjevic did a bunch of them. The covers are really striking, too. It's a very, very sharp miniseries. And I'm really surprised that the name doesn't get thrown around a lot more because it was great. Sounds very cool. I actually think that you have moved this to the top of my priority list for my Windy City shopping uh, list. Modoc. <laughs> and, and it's Modoc. Oh, I don't know why I didn't read it in the... You know what, I, I guess when I was thinking when it was solicited, I, I, I was worried it was just going to be a complete uber-satirical, farcical thing. Like, like a throwaway series, right? Yeah, no. or there just wasn't really anything to it other than just trying to get some cheap laughs. No. But but I love Ocean's Eleven. I'm a sucker for all those movies. I even like, I mean, 12 wasn't as good, but I like 12, 13. I like <laughs> well, when I say Ocean's so, Eleven, I'm talking the original Ocean's Eleven. The Rat Pack. Oh, yeah. I like that one fine, too. I like the Sinatra one. 
Brat, Brat Pack one. Um, but no, I'm saying, so this sounds cool. I mean, I'm all about a good heist book, so it sounds really fun. And it's carefully planned, too, because from the very first panel, you see Modoc's stubby little hand, and he's drawing this flow chart, this schematic flow chart diagram, and he's planning, because he is a, a, a mathematician and a schemer, and he, and he plans things way, way, way in advance. So you see him drawing this flow chart, and he's writing little things in the, the various shapes, and at the end, you get to see exactly what it was he was writing, and it's the, the O. Henry, the flip moment at the end, where I won't say it. But So going in, Van Lenthe knew exactly where he was taking this. There's a part in there where the old Modoc with a C, Modoc with a K thing plays into it. Modoc is, is talking. There's this internal mo- monologue, and, and he, he says, uh, mental organism designed only for killing killing no 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 computing computing uh, uh, computing so and so he's flip-flopping between this this nasty bloodthirsty modoc and and the original intent which was to have him be a big brain a supercomputer mm-hmm. so there's an identity issue with modoc it's great it, it's great he's with modog no or modam no. hey you guys heard anything about the uh wednesday comics I just got a load of them. They're they're pretty good. Guys should check them out. I, I see we're probably running close to time here. I um, so I guess I I was gonna do. Uh, D- David reminded me that I too have to uh, give Frankie the Dildonator some some love and props. He sent me uh, two limited series that uh, I'll save for next week. But or well, I, I mean I, I'm I'm saving something for next week. Since it is Fred Van Lenty month next week, and uh, David, I know, has started this, so maybe if you read some of this, we can do a three-way. I'm going to tackle the God Squad issues of Incredible Hercules. Oh, I read them, sure. Wasn't that fantastic? That was, that was great, yeah. Yeah, so I'm gonna, we'll do Hercules next week. We'll spread the Could Van Lenty love, yeah. So w- what did he send you? I want to hear. Yeah, we have, so we he, have some time. Um, Frankie uh, sent, it was very kind, he sent me the complete miniseries of Project Superpowers Black Terror mm. and Project Superpowers Masquerade. Black Terror was written by uh, Alex Ross and Jim Kruger with art by Mike Lilly, and Masquerade was written by the uh, the incomparable Phil Hester, underappreciated Phil Hester, uh, and, and art by uh, Carlos Paul, and I believe um, Joe Ruiz does some work in the later mm. issues as well, but yeah, um, yeah so... But yeah, I just want thanks very much, Frankie, for uh, for for sending those along because that's definitely something I didn't buy when it was solicited because I wasn't really vibing on the first Project Paris series, and so you sending me those uh, was very nice, very very kind of you, and uh, and I'll I guess I'll talk about them. And and I have to thank Frankie the Dildonator as well because he sent me the Death Defying Devil miniseries. Uh, Spread that love around, see. Yeah, maybe. That was so, the one that I didn't buy. And since he was offering, I took him up on it. And I haven't read it yet, but I did read the two that you read. Okay. If okay. you, you want to touch base on them? Mm-hmm. Or you want to do them, do them justice Let's in a longer them. piece? We could be quick about them. I mean, I, I, for me, it was a one thumb up, one thumb down. Um, oh, I, no. Yeah, I really enjoyed the, the Masquerade quite a bit. I thought oh. Phil Hester did a great job. Um, I thought uh, Black Terror was pretty much incomprehensible. Oh, <laughs> Damn. Oh, I love them both. Naturally, the Masquerade one, I lean a little bit more towards that because one, it's Phil Hester. Two, she's smoking hot. 
totally smoking hot. And that costume with the slit and the the yeah. hat and the oh man, but the 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 masquerade one had a golden age feel to it, mm-hmm. where the the black terror was definitely bronzed to me. It, it just dripped of bronze age. Uh, I, I like them both a lot, and d- just going by the characters, I like Bob a lot more. Well, I, I didn't like Black Terror, the series, for the exact same reason I didn't care for Project Superpowers. I, I thought that the dialogue was ungodly stiff. It was like I could picture two bad actors standing on stage saying, Behold, I am the Black Terror, and I shall vanquish you, you evil foe. It was just so stiff, and it, it was like trying to be... An homage to the way comics read in the Golden Age, but but dude, that's that, where these characters are coming from. I understand that, but I, I then I'll then I'll buy a I'll buy a, a a showcase of the Golden Age books and read it. Having read to date in Project Superpowers two, a lot of that has evaporated. Yeah, so I've heard. So, but I, but I, I, yeah, I just, the Black Terror for me just was a complete whiff. I, I the whole notion of him just pining after his old sidekick. I mean, it was just, it almost was like homoerotic at points. He made, it shows the character's honor. He made a pact with the boy to protect him. I, I guess I'm not, yeah, I, but again, it's just to me, and I'm not, I wasn't a huge fan of the whole urn concept. It just, it, I just not, I'm just not vibing on the Project Superpowers. Whereas, well, that's okay. Mas- Masquerade, I thought was terrific. Um, Phil Hester really is good at dialogue. Uh, he's, he's very, very good at dialogue, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, and she's just an average gal. I mean, she's not. Mm. She's got no powers whatsoever. I just thought it was a terrific modernized version of of uh, just a pulpy pulpy book, a fun right. pulpy book. Um, and how so. can you go wrong with a colossal Nazi robot with a swastika on it? Can't ever go wrong with Nazis and femme fatales. It's it, win win. Yeah, it is pretty much win win. So, and I don't know if you're going to be pleased to hear this, but out of all the Project Superpowers lead-ins, the Black Terror has become a regular series now. Well, I did see that. Uh, yeah. but it doesn't phase me one way or the other. I have no intentions of. of I'm getting it. Enjoying it. Yeah, that's great. I'm got, Look, I'm always glad when other people are enjoying a comic. I mean, I, I just for me, like I said, it was. Per, I mean, it was very nice of Frankie to send them to me, and and glad I I read them both. It it it. Uh, I'm glad he sent me both, and, and not just the one. Because if I had just read Black Terror, I probably would have completely written off Project Superpowers universe for good. Oh, but tough. the Masquerade was. <laughs> uh, was was interesting enough that I'm I'm now at least mildly curious about the other stuff. See, I like him as a character. I I I kind of feel bad for the dude trapped in the urn for so long. Like Captain America, he's a man out of time. They all are, really. Yeah. And he puts aside the personal differences he has with the fighting Yank, who sucked him into the the sure. urn in the first place to tackle this bigger threat that's going on. I, I don't know. I, I, I just well, for think me, he's, he's pretty cool. I have no issues at all with the character or the characters, even in Project Superpowers. For me, it's all about the execution. Execution, and, and, and okay. And again, I just I feel as though, and, and again, it's just a personal preference. I know plenty of people, yourself included, and other guys I know that re- like very much like this stuff, and that's great. But just for me, the combination of the of the Ross and the Rossian art, which, again, love or hate Alex Ross, and I, I consider myself an Alex Ross fan, I think his artwork is very stiff. You know, mm. it's very much uh, it's, it's like more like looking at portraits than it is a, a sequential, compelling story. Uh, I, I think the stiff art plus what I really felt was really stiff dialogue just made it a very hard experience for me to, to yeah. care about the characters. But that's just my, that's just my, right. my take on it. Nobody can, can say you're wrong. Yeah, so. yeah. Because you're right. It is very much in the vein of, of the Golden Age comics and there is a lot of posturing and stuff, but... I kind of take that as a breath of fresh air. 
to a lot of this, um, I don't want to say grim and gritty, but more adult tone that's taken with a lot of books these days. So a nice little oasis. I'm glad you read it, though. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'm currently reading Project Superpowers Volume 1, going into the, the miniseries, and then 2, I hadn't read the first part. So now a lot of stuff makes a hell of a lot more sense. And um, the thing that's cool about it is the uh, soldiers, the F Troop, literally they're all Frankenstein monsters. They're soldiers who have fallen in battle, and they have this crack surgical team that reanimates the bodies and sends them back out into battle. That is cool. That's a really neat concept. Nothing new, but it's a nice little spin when you have all these other things going on, too. Mm. So there we go. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Frankie, though, in all seriousness. It was very, very You nice. the man. Frankie is the man. As always, this episode has been sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. Check them out. Fantastic discounts on everything in the previews catalog. Ship straight to your door at the frequency you determine. Everything's in beautiful shape. You get what you order, and you'll be very, very pleased. Trust us on this so yeah thank you yeah for my little in your travels i would like you to read i have a a little challenge to uh or how about some extracurricular activities bonus points if you will while you're tooling around on the web do a search for united free worlds it started off as a book from fantasy prone and then it jumped to ddp it's a really cool book just do a google search for united free worlds and Call our hotline and tell me what you think. I could have my head up my ass, but I just think this book is a lot of fun. That's cool. Dinosaur Wars. Soldiers on Dinosaurs. Nice. There you go. Jeez, come on. How you go uh, read uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Because it needs more readers. <laughs> no, really. I'm just not kidding. It I should be up at the top of the charts. I want other people to uh, That's your get totally kick-ass chameleon story. I want That's to find right. Out how, how did he do the chair? It was empty. And then at the I end, I, I need to know. Maybe if we ever have Fred Van Lenty on one of these days, we can ask that him. That would be awesome. Yeah. I'm okay. clicking my heels. Dare to dream. Dare to dream. I know. A um, couple things. One, um, it's official. Our buddy, fellow podcaster, and actually uh, podcaster extraordinaire, uh, Mr. Tom Caters, is a married man, so congrats to him. Um, congrats, Tom. Yep. And in your... In your travels, as Vince likes to say, or actually it's in your sitting at home. Right. Uh, you have to travel please. to get it. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're on the bus. Unless you order from DCBS, and then you don't have to do any traveling to get it. Uh, Smart people please, do. Yeah. Please do yourselves a favor. And I know we've become very Marvel-centric of late, unintentionally so. So oh. I'm going to pip a few, a few <laughs> DC books. An image book. Please continue to read Chew. Fourth issue came out last week, and it's a treat. Please continue to read and support The Secret Six. Kale Simone and Nicholas Scott are doing a bang-up job on that. It's a blast. It's just a riot every month. And uh, don't stop reading Rebels because it continues to be strong. Uh, and our boy, uh, our boy uh, Clark is back on the book with issue number seven. So Nice. Yeah. And I'll so, add one. Jonah Hex. Mm, faux show. Yes. Say bye-bye, people. Hopefully Chris will be back next week. I hope so. Yeah. Mr. Chris. I do. I so always said that it's like a limb, just not. It's, yeah, when one of us ain't here. And I'm bummed because at first we didn't even think he was, he wouldn't have been the absent one this week. Right. That's but true. the F bombs were kept to a minimum. I don't think there was any. No. I think, yeah, wouldn't I think each would hit one? Yep. I said Felicio. That's an F bomb, kind of. You did. Kind of, sort of. Such an Italian joie de vivre. Felicio in hell. It's a good thing. All right. Nice. See you next week, people. Thank Bye. you for being Bye. here. Bye-bye. So long.